You have two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah. Have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. You're saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Hello, welcome to TNC. People are asking in the comments, where is TNC? TNC is late, blah, 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 blah. Too much blah, 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 all right? This is this is the problem with Australian football. Too negative. Concentrating on us being late. Why not concentrate on the fact that we've turned up at all to entertain you? Nick Dabano, hit these comments. Aren't, aren't we technically early? Because we never do a show this early. It's daylight. We're Very- technically two hours early. So, you know, things are happening. Have to move Very our schedules point. around. Do you do you write for the good weekend? Because you you really turn the narrative around there with uh with that. I really like that. Lockie Flanagan, uh, you're also here. Lockie, uh, what do you think of our haters? Well, I mean, I, I didn't really see the big fuss to be honest. First of all, it's nothing new, and also Garen Quall comes on late every single week of the A League, and I didn't see anyone complaining about that. It usually goes quite well, so you know, late starts are, are good things. Excellent point. Teo, what, what do you say to those that doubt us every week? And, you know, they might be right. They doubt that. First of all, let me say one thing. This is an espresso edition. All right. People have doubted the espresso edition. I have an espresso cup right here off screen, which I will not be showing you on screen. The coffee in it right now is warm. It will still be warm by the end of today's show. That is a promise. Teo, aren't we going to knock it out the park today? Mate, this is a performance mode podcast. This is espresso edition. 100%. That's exactly right. Uh, we've made some changes, as you'll see. Joey, out the lineup, like the Matildas. We just we just had to make a few changes, and now the results are going to be outstanding. Joey's gone. Thank God. No long answers. Excellent for Espresso Edition. Josh is gone. Tough. Keeps us on track. Uh, someone has already written already uh, in via YouTube. Uh, their name is Son, and they've just said doubt. Yeah, focus on your rehab for the World Cup, Son. <laughs> <laughs> um, look... I think that we're going to talk many things because um, uh, Taryn's going to be on to talk Matildas as well. Uh, we are going to talk all everything that happened in the A-League this week. Uh, Socceroos, World Cup selection squad. That was big. And uh, we might even preview uh, the A-League women's, which is starting next week. And, but look, I think we need to start. Do you want to start with uh, this afternoon's game that just finished, or should we start with the Sydney derby that happened last night? Which I think, I think we, I think we got to go Mariners Macarthur style. I reckon. Right. Uh, I think just because it's just happened and we had you know quite a a fun end to that game. Yeah. So Bono, let's hit uh, let's hit the, the box office while the attendant is still in the cinema cleaning out the popcorn <laughs> and everything. Devon, <laughs> hit me with your thoughts on today's game because um, let's let's go through a few things. One, Danny Vukovic, hilarious that he's stuffed up because let's be honest, he was the controversial selection. He was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter what people say. I'm getting on that plane. And he's still getting on that plane, but it was pretty funny that he had the performance that he did. And then yeah. uh, and then Quoll, the greatest player in 45 minutes ever. Yeah, I I, I kind of want to really touch on more of the, the Garangsky uh, style because I didn't see too much of the of the Vukovic stuff in the first half. I was kind of in and out of that first half a little bit, so I didn't get to see too much of it. I don't think but he saw too much of it the, either. Bounced in yeah, front of him and then... Well, <laughs> yeah, well, look, just, just on um, the Mariners, just as a whole, first of all, I mean, I know they lost 3-2, but I don't think they lost any, you know, admirers for their effort. They played through their skins with 10 men and probably should have won that game. I mean, 
Garen Quall came on, him and Sammy Silvera in the second half and really helped change that game for them. Uh, Cummings was unlucky not to score, missed his penalty, but then Garanks, he got it back, slotted that one. And then the equaliser, I mean, I think everyone kind of summed up the discourse on Twitter about what everyone was saying. It's like, whenever... You don't like whenever you don't think Garen Qual's got a new thing he can pull out of his back pocket, he finds some other way to amaze everybody. And I think it was you, Lockie, who said it in, in your tweet. You summed it up perfectly. Like he had no right to score that. You know, he was on a tight angle. You know, no one usually shoots from that range. And if they do, it's usually straight at the goalkeeper, out for a corner sort of thing. But he smacked that past Nick Schulman and what a finish it was. So um again, brilliant effort from him. Um, you know, he's really putting his hand up. Um, sorry, not for World Cup selection anymore, but potentially to see quite a big scope in these games. I don't know if it'll be enough to start. I mean, you never know with what Graham Arnold might not might do. Stole you, you're muted, mate. I was gonna say he uh, can't start for the Mariners. He can't start for the Socceroos before. Why he's not? not start. He's <laughs> so, not starting sorry, a game for the Mariners. Why not? Stole, stole, <laughs> it is the tradition. It's becoming a fast tradition of our national teams to deploy players in roles that they've never played at club level. <laughs> so it would be perfectly fitting for Qual to start at the World Cup. Lockie, yeah, why what not? You, sorry, just quickly, Lockie, you said that he had no right to score from there. Is that going to put him in good stead in Qatar where rights are often trampled upon <laughs> and people often don't have rights and manage to kind of make do while they're there? Uh, I, th- I think I'm going to de- defer to Jose Mourinho on that one and prefer not to speak <laughs> on those uh, those particular things. But I, I look, I want to put a question to, to, to you guys, to the, to the TNC network, and mm. we sort of dis- discussed this privately. Everyone's talking still, regardless of how well this guy does. Yeah, well, he needs to start. You know, when is he going to start? Like, this is this stuff is all good, and yet he's not starting. Does he need to start? Does he ever need to start? Could he not just keep doing what he's doing indefinitely? Can he become, like, I, I don't know, football's answer to the kicker? He just comes on at a very specific moment, a very specific state of the game, to do a very specific job, which is score goals. Could he you, just you make an him- extremely... <laughs> Ole Gunnar Qualshire. So, yeah. Could could he just make an extremely lucrative career out of just never starting, playing 20 minutes, kicking three goals, job done, easy money. We'll, we'll find out when we find out where Newcastle are loaning him to. And, and I said today, Newcastle have got to let us know because it's a bit like Ange Postacoglu going to Celtic. All of a sudden, Scottish Premier League, the Celtic Champions League games, they became big ticket items for everyone in Australia wanting to follow them. Garen Qual now fits into exactly the same category. If they loan him to the, the Portuguese League, I don't know if there's even a rights holder for Portugal in Australia. That's there's a bidding not. war. So yeah. Stan, I've heard sports Optus, are interested. Paramount, Sports Flick, even Keep Up as a potential network could quite legitimately acquire the rights, never mind YouTube Australia or Twitch or someone like that. So wherever Qual goes, they should absolutely strike a deal because he's a he's a big ticket item. People want to watch him. So I think you strike while the iron is hot. And if, if it, even if he doesn't necessarily feature much at the World Cup, I think he will feature in one or two of the games as a sub. And then where he goes on loan will basically give us our answer as to whether or not he is going to start. But I'm sure Newcastle are well aware of that. And where they loan him could be materially changed by how he performs at the World Cup. Because all of a sudden, instead of them trying to handpick somewhere to send him, they might have a bunch of suitors coming to them and saying, hey, we want to loan this guy because we know that you can't put him on the pitch for a couple of seasons.
let's go to some of the comments. Um, ben Smith, friend of the show, says, Quoll can't keep getting away with this. Uh, Bad Trip, who's obviously an NBA fan, says Lou Williams, who uh famous kind of sixth man of the LA Clippers, I want to say, Nick Devano. Well, he did it for quite a few different teams. If you, yeah, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford. I mean, you can rattle off as many different great sixth men. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a bad shout. Um, and Tays in the UFO, to... this is not a basketball podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, just just going back um, to the game itself, I mean, you do feel for the Mariners because, again, the in the second half, you know, the even when they had 10 men, you got to really admire the effort, you know, again, from Nick Montgomery to go for the game and really try and put MacArthur under pressure and at least try and win it. And they came so close to doing so. Um mm. You know, like most coaches in that situation, even going down a goal, you sometimes go in a bit of damage control. But in that instance, they kept going um, because MacArthur didn't create a hell of a lot. I mean, they scored their first goal off the Vukovic mistake, a set piece, and then a counterattack right at the end where, you know, when the Mariners went for the game. Um, and, you know, they look, you, you do feel for them, but MacArthur did, you know, get the three points at the end of the day, however undeserved it might have been. Um, so yeah, it puts them in a decent position coming into the world cup break, but for the Mariners as well, they, they're not going to lose, as I said at the start, any admirers for their effort. Cause they kept going for it. They were the better team on the day. Just a bit of luck didn't go their way. And I thought they were a bit unlucky as well with that red card to, to Brian Caltech. I don't know about, about what your thoughts, I guess, around the panel are, but, um, a straight red for that. I, I don't think that was a straight red worthy challenge, uh, at all. I thought maybe a yellow or even to at least ha- have had a look at that. Uh, but for me personally, that's not a red card. Rocky mm. um, Teo, thoughts on the red card? I, I don't have a strong view, but I, I did want to say I, I'm really happy for Jed Drew. I will speak mm. about other young players that have come out of New South Wales NPL in the Sydney Derby. But Jed Drew scored a very, not similar goal, but in, in terms of the build-up before the finish, a similar goal in a game I saw him in for Northbridge during the NPL season. And you could just see immediately, this guy is pure pace. He's got the acceleration, but he's got composure as well. And he's the sort of guy that can shoot while running flat out. And that is a tough skill. So credit to him. Obviously, uh, the Mariners were robbed to an extent because not just the missed penalty, but the Farrell shot, which maybe he should have done better with. And credit to Schumann to putting him off. But when the moment arrived, Jed Drew was composed. And that's a great quality in a young player. So uh, as much as the result may have been seen as an injustice, potentially, uh, particularly by one of our upcoming guests, uh, I think that it's a credit to Jed Drew for taking that on his A-League debut. And hopefully that means more minutes for him because he is playing in a role that most young players don't tend to play in the A-League. It tends to more be for fullbacks and, you know, defensive midfielders rather than for wingers. So, Could we see Jed Drew potentially take the mantle as MacArthur's starting number nine? I mean, you know, when they've got their full complement of attacking options when Ulysses Davila's back after the World Cup break. I mean, Taylor, you said you've seen a bit of Jed Drew at MPL level. Can he play as someone who could lead the line? Because, you know, Anthony Carter and our bully as well, who we saw today, or our bully we saw for the first time today, haven't really, you know, sort of locked in that position. And I mean, Lockie Rose has played there quite a bit. But has this performance maybe given Dwight York something to, to consider? Oh, no, I, I think he's better hugging the touchline and, and coming in, um, going from wide to central rather than starting central. But, you know, this is NPL's a, a very different situation. You've got different teammates. Uh, you have different complementary pieces. So um, possibly, but I, I, I'm just happy that he was able to basically still produce his 
number one attribute, which is his acceleration, in the 95th minute. So, um, Aliga says Bulls stocks were at crypto level before the 95th <sighs> minute winner. Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, to win a game 3 2 and you kind of come out of it going, Wow, you guys are pretty bad. There's some there's some alarm bells ringing, uh, not just cowbells uh, at MacArthur. W- what do we think? Because I don't know. At the start of the season, they, they won the Australia Cup. I don't know. You know that is what it is. But there was some excitement around it. You know, De Villa's injury seems to be kind of a big crucial thing for them. Azani on the bench today, like you say, Debano, they can't quite sort out who is that number nine. Um, they've tried different combinations in midfield. Uh, Lockie. What do you think, MacArthur? You starting to think that it's going to be a shaky season for them? Yeah, and I, look, I think the the second half against ten, uh, the the fact that their sort of snap reaction, and look, I'm glad Ed Drew has got some praise beforehand because I'm about to put a little bit of mud on him potentially. <laughs> um, even though I do think he had a very good game, um, the the fact that they came away from that performance where yes, yeah, some of it was game state, some of them was allowing the Mariners to have more of the possession, even though they had ten. But the movement, the Mariners' movement, and their ability to commit players forward and make the kind of runs that unsettled defenses is second to none in the A League. And there were a number of um, occasions in which the Bulls were were pulled apart. Um, as a result of that in, in defense. And, you know, their defense has been shaky already on a number of occasions this season. But Jedrew's full uh, post-match interview, they came away from this game and his response is to say something along the lines of, oh, unbelievable shift. I was cramping at the end, you know, 10 men. It's like, guys, you were playing against 10. You, you weren't the team <laughs> who went down to 10. You had an extra man the whole time. You played like 10 and you nicked a goal. Like, yeah, this sounds like me, a that... hater who doesn't believe in him. <laughs> uh, I apparently, mean, look, we, apparently this doesn't believe in anyone. So it's not the first time uh, that an A-League team has been up a man and really struggled to make it count. Like you wouldn't, if if there wasn't a nice graphic in the top right, you know, left corner with the little red card with the time on it, which I do well, love. I, I... Uh, you wouldn't know that this team has an extra man. I actually have a, a fact about this because a, another thing where the, the Mariners movement makes so much difference, whether they're playing either against 10, which my tinfoil hat theory is it's not always that much of an advantage uh, in the A-League men's because you have to break down a, a set defense. Uh, but it also helps them when they have 10. Um, the movement, uh, I spoke to Nick Montgomery a few weeks ago. He, he said uh, after the interview that I think, and I'm pretty sure this still holds, that Mariners are the only team to come from behind against 10 men this season. Because other teams just just can't do it. The 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 commitment to the energy you have to have to unsettle a team who is sitting in those sort of two banks of four um, is tough sometimes for midfields. But the Mariners are, are able to do it, and I think that that sort of stuff um, helped them today. A man down as well. Shout out all day beer. I don't know what that means, but yep, one hundred. We'll give it the big. Uh... The big, the big muscles. Look, I want to get, uh, give a shout out to lots of great Facebook comments coming in, especially this one. Props to Stoll for ignoring Joey. Yep, it's 100% right. Uh, look, Joey is not here. Joey said, oh, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I'm about to go to Qatar, blah, blah, blah. We voted Joey off the show, all right? We, we had decided this show was going to be better. And now, as his punishment, he's going to Qatar. 
But uh, look, he's he's in there. Of course, Stoll starts ignoring the comments when the best host rocks up. That's another one from him. Oh, is Josh Parrish in the comments? I didn't see his. Yeah, where's Barnaby Josh? Where's his hat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey says he has an interview with Dwight York coming to ESPN soon. Blah, 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 blah. Look, there you go. Uh, check out Joey's Twitter for anything else. Um, look, just quickly, I just wanted to touch on this whole qual not starting. All right. So do you guys think it's weird that he doesn't start? Do you think it's like... Is it smart? Is it like, oh my God, you, you bring this guy, like, is it tactical? Or is it just, oh, he's not ready for this? But I don't know, at a certain point, like, this guy's looking like Messi when he comes on. And, you know, if Messi scores a hat-trick in 30 minutes, maybe he's going to score six goals. But in, we've in, seen in him nine. for the last time in the A-League. It doesn't matter anymore. I mean, his new club is where we'll be asking mm. that question. You know, does he need to start for Pacos de Ferreira? That's the question we're going to be asking. <laughs> Well, he's got, um, I think it's, um, how many, well, he's, he's coming back, I think, to play the December fixtures. I think he finished, he, he doesn't leave until day one of whoa, the, whoa, the transfer whoa. window. Nick so Dubano, are you doubting that Australia is not going to make the final on December 18th? Look, <laughs> the, you were the one who Graham Arnold was talking about. Oh my God, the doubters. Yeesh. What, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? You're, if you're we putting make, words in my mouth here. If we stop. make the December 18th final, Quall is not coming back for no December fixtures. I'm just saying that at the moment, as it stands, the current plan is for him to play the December fixtures if he's available to be to play the December fixtures style. So okay, they've got right. um, go. two games against the Jets, a game against Sydney, and then Melbourne City, and then the then victory on New Year's Eve. But I doubt that game against victory. If, if he's if he's jetting off, he might not, you know, stick around for that one. But um, all indications are that he will be available for those games. Um, just I wanted to address this comment quickly, and I. I I was thinking about it before, and John brings it up. Has Jason Cummings got more goals that haven't been given than he does legally given? Because he has a lot of disallowed goals this season. I think he has only two goals that have stood this season, but I think he's scored, if my just off the top of my head, I think he's scored like three goals that have been disallowed. He had the, the one against Wellington, the one against West United, and the one today. Is there any others? Because he Let is, as Lockie said as well. He's walked under some ladders. He's seen a black cat and he definitely, someone's given him the evil eye because he even said it himself in the post game. He was like, like, what the hell is going on? Like, it just seems like there's a new thing every week that goes against me. Well, mate, at least you're going to the world cup and hopefully all that bad juju is out of the system before he gets there against France. Did you think that, you know, he looked so frustrated when he put the ball in the back of the net and then it was kind of, oh no, we called for the penalty. You got to take the penalty. Did you think he was like emotionally in the right frame of mind to take the penalty? Because I thought he was going to miss. He just, he just blown up literally like 30 seconds earlier. And as he put the ball on the spot, I thought, uh, and then I got a bad feeling about this. Do you think they should have given it to Quoll maybe? Probably in hindsight. Hindsight's a bit. I mean, I think they should ju- should have just yeah. let the goal stand. Like... Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just keep playing. Like, just keep playing. No, no one, no one loses anything. Like, it's if I don't Advantage. know, and it's not Play like, it, yeah, but it's not like it doesn't happen. It's, it's not. We don't always go back to the penalty, regardless of what happens. I'm sure there's some context that I've, I'm missing, but there are plenty of examples of penalties being awarded, but the person, while the ball's in motion, scores anyway, and so the goal stands. Yeah. Like, why could that just not have happened this time, especially to Jason Cummings? Because we don't want to shoot this man's confidence before the World Cup. He's going to be starting. You know, do you guys think it was weird that any of these? I, I wouldn't have played any of the people that were in the World Cup. Like I would have just been. They're like, going to nah, play him. Cool. They're well, going to play what, him. That's what countries like Argentina had actually formally written to European clubs to request. 
man, if mm. Messi gets injured overnight against Auxerre or something, <laughs> good luck to the defender that injured him. Like, I just say, like, go into hiding and never return, well, my friend. Realistically, without having looked at Auxerre's results this season, PSG yeah. should... Yeah, deal with Uxair relatively easily. So I don't uh, think they need Messi tomorrow yeah, either way. I think the they have kids or whatever. I don't know. I think it's just yeah. to get that a thousandth game thing, but just play one minute at the end, you know, and, and play as a goalkeeper or something. Um, Angelo Tiro says, uh, you guys remind me of the show Brady Bunch. Angelo, this show is much more successful than the Brady Bunch. All right. Let me tell you. All right. I don't know. You know, what, well, what is there going to be a TNC movie? Is there? I think, I think this, the, the this TNC is going to be cinematic universe. This D- is going to be shown, shown on reruns on Channel 10 in the future, much like Brady Bunch was when I was growing up. But this, there'll be like uh, episode eight of the TNC will just be one day pop up on we, Channel 10. We might future. be on ESPN the Ocho one day. Like, you know, and they sometimes bring that out of retirement. Oh, like, and we could be on after the dodgeball and the axe throwing. Maybe we'll be on in like the 10 p.m. slot. I would love to be. Look, while we're on today's games, let's quickly uh, touch on the game that I didn't watch because I described I described uh, this in the chat. I think I said, anyone who watches this is the hero of the pod, but I feel like most of you guys did. But it turned and out... It was actually, a good decision. <laughs> but it turned out to be a good game, right? You know, Western 3, Wellington 2. I mean, in a way, this, is, this week of the A-League was kind of perfect, right? You had an amazing hmm. uh, game between Adelaide and Melbourne, right? You know, the real real atmosphere, a game that really felt like it meant something and, and really good, you know, the home support. Blah, blah. You had an amazing Sydney derby. You had what I thought actually was a good game between Melbourne City and uh, Newcastle Jets. You know, not an amazing atmosphere, but good chances, you know, good footballs, a few Socceroos playing, that's kind of good. Then you had two kind of real seesawing, you know, wow, what a game, <laughs> games today. Uh, you know, 3-2, 3-2, amazing. And you didn't have Brisbane and Perth playing. So as far as I'm concerned, perfect weekend for the A-League. Today, today was perfect. It was the today, you know, we know Sundays, they're, they're lazy days. You want to watch something that's easy to watch. And, you know, people have had big nights on a Saturday. These are the perfect that's stuff right. you want to try to get the attention, you know? so People, he says. People. Maybe. <laughs> Debana, that's a good point. When you're hungover... That you need goals. Like you can't have like a dull, like nil nil. Like it just hurts the soul too much. But what did you what did you think of this game? Uh Western three Wellington two. Um you know what? I didn't actually I'm gonna be brutally honest. I'm gonna have to throw to someone else for the first hour of this game, but I didn't see the first hour. I was uh sorting out some other stuff. And I watched the the last half an hour after I think it was just after Jacob Trad had scored. Um so from the, the ending of that game, I've got to give Western United credit. I mean, they came at Wellington and Alexander Priovich, I mean, we have said for so long just how important he is to Western United. The fact that he was back and playing today and that gravity that he brings when he's up top. There aren't many strikers in the league that can do that. This guy is an unbelievable player and, you know, it was a great ball from Ben Garuccio. I mean, if you've got a, if you've got a striker like... Alexander Priovich in the box and you're putting crosses in like that all day, nine times out of 10, that guy's going to put the ball in the back of the net and you're going to reap your rewards. That was a brilliant moment for him. He got the equalizer, but I got to say, um, I know that we've spoken at length about, you know, how Diamante's getting older. He's not the same player he was at least with he, what he can do with his, you know, just physical capabilities right now, given that he's closer to 40 now he's in his final season he's come back from a serious knee injury there were moments even when he's gotten on the ball and someone's putting him under pressure he hasn't got that turn so he's always playing backwards or trying something different but those individual moments you know it's very sort of a cliche line but class is permanent and this guy can hit a free kick and he can do some special things from a dead ball 
And when he won that free kick, as I relayed in our chat, I said straight away, he's like, I got a good feeling about this. Like this is, this is going in and far out. He hit that, that perfectly. Like you couldn't hit that free kick any better. If you are, if you know, to say so myself and what a weight off the shoulders that is for Western United. I mean, they needed to get something. It was looking bad for them. Two nil down on the road, you know, going into the break, bottom of the table without a win. That would have really put a lot of pressure on them going into the break to really sort that out. There would have been a lot of soul searching and everything else. But to come out into the into now the four-week hiatus with a come-from-behind win, Prijevic is back. We don't know how long it might be, whether he sticks around in January, whether he sticks around at the end of the season. We don't know. But to come in with that confidence, it's massive for them. And I know last season, you know, John Aloisi spoke at length about, you know, their their belief and their culture and their, you know, uh, like their spirit and everything. We saw that today. We saw that come through today. Like they, when the whips were cracking, they stood up and, you know, and they brought on guys like Milanovic and, you know, they changed something up with him coming on, who I still think should be starting. We're talking about guys who should be starting. It's Nick Milanovic who should be starting in this, in this team. And the game changed and Wellington just couldn't cope. They, they went into their shells. They were 2-0 up. There was probably an air of complacency to an extent as well. And West United, at the end of the day, ran over them. So credit to them. Um, they've, they'll, they'll go into the break with a bit of, you know, a bit of zest, a bit of energy. And from what looked like going into the break, just pulling up the table here, what looked like going in six points off the race, um, off, off the top six, it's now only three. And there's still, you know, another 20 games to go. So that's a massive result for them. And if they can get guys like Prijevic on the park, I think they can start Nick Milanovic. They get, you know, Tomoki and Mai back in defense as well. This team can only get better from here. So I think fingers crossed for them and for John Aloisi that now that they can get the wheels turning and get the cogs turning, like defensively, there's still some issues. But going forward, they're looking actually pretty good this season. Like they're creating a lot of chances. But now they've got yeah. Prijevic in there to put them away. They, they could potentially go to another level. Geraldo makes a good point. Uh, it's all down to them being written off on last week's show. Totally agree. Last week, I wasn't here. Whatever was said, you know, ignore it. Only, only listen when I'm on. Um, Lockie, look, Previch came off the bench. He must have come off the bench. Is this like an A-League thing where you keep your best player on the bench, whether it's Quoll, whether it's Max Burgess? You know, I'm just constantly looking at the bench like, man, they, this, is, this is where the real players are. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you're onto something, Stoll, because if I think about Garen Quoll, Alex Previch, and Alessandro Diamanti, I mean, the levels of energy amongst those three are just, just so comparable. <laughs> yeah, you know. No, but, but, but uh, seriously, I, I, think, um, I think Nick's, Nick's onto something there. I think this, this has the potential to be uh, a real galvanizer um, for, for Western United, something to, to really, uh, yeah, for them to, to sort of... Uh, bond over it's not really the right term but you know focus on to take into that break because they, they don't have any soccer who's going off the squad is all largely going to be there um look they were really really poor in the first half uh wellington completely sort of outplayed them they gave them all sorts of hassle Lewis in the wide a yeah in, in but in the wide areas as well like they had the fullbacks pinned the whole time like they had a heap of profit out wide and the game could have been over at at, at halftime but then there's also an element of maybe as is uh, perhaps a point to go back to you, Stoll, to take a, a victory lap about Wellington not being legit. But the second half, they did they did sort of choke and they they rude those those missed chances because in the same way, Western United in the first half, particularly and over the course of this season, have been porous defensively. The, the defensive work from from the uh, from the Phoenix in the second half 
wasn't great. I mean, but, look, Previch is not an that, easy character. That's the only question I had on this game. Is Scott Wooden actually any good? Ooh. Mm. Yeah, it, I, I mean, I think it, it's it's a it's a fair question to be asking. Like, I know Alex Previd is not an easy man to mark because he's bloody massive. But you know, the the ease with which he was able to sort of slip between the defensive lines. And mind you, it was an excellent ball from Ben Garuccio. But even so, um, you know, you're you're sort of a, a bit like Ibasuki and 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 Victory earlier in the week. I know it's not easy to stop, but you've got to be aware that that is going to be the main locus of their attack and you know luckily for western united that the, they went for the cross and in inshallah once once previch was on and and he finally answered he finally yeah, answered a... is, um, is finn is finn sermon injured at the moment because i, I know he played in some of the, the games where they got frightful beatings last season but I, I thought he showed plenty of potential and maybe the answer to that question is about the wooden laws partnership and maybe they need to start playing Wooden next to Sermon and move Laws uh, out to one of the fullback roles instead of playing Sutton there. I don't know. But, um, yeah, no, you're spot on, Lockie. I, I think Wellington's defence really let them down because in Ugarkovic and Lewis, they had two players that could control the tempo of the midfield and seemed reasonably comfortable about it. I mean, uh, they both had, I think, something like above 85% pass completion, meaning they weren't giving away the ball. They were retaining possession. And, to get over overrun the way they did, I certainly didn't see it coming, especially once it was 2-0. I, even at 1-0, I thought Wellington were looking very comfortable. Um, Julian says via YouTube, looking like Prio and Lacroix bond to stay at West United. Look at their reactions after those goals. What a team. I'll just say, Lacroix, you know, lo- a lot of criticism, but assist today for Wellington's first goal. Really, you know, just played him in nicely. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I don't know. He's still in my fantasy team, and I don't understand why I didn't get a points for that assist. Did, did anyone else um, find that really, like, jarring though like the idea of these players who publicly have said that they or not publicly but it's been rumored that they don't want to be around celebrating as though they're like love the club fully devoted i was like it feels weird feels weird you know why it's probably they have an amazing goal bonus so they're just like yeah we're getting paid (laughs) this is amazing so it wasn't a fist pump it was actually a ching sign that's what he was doing that makes sense Um, all right, I think, should we move on from this game in our espresso edition? My coffee is starting to just, it's still warm. It's still warm. It's just starting to get, I can just feel a little bit of temperature declining. Let's talk about Saturday night, the big one, the Sydney Derby. Teo, you were there. I was there. Uh, Nick Dubano wasn't there. Lockie wasn't there, but that doesn't matter. You know, that they saw it on TV. They can provide the uh, televisual experience. Uh, Teo, your thoughts on this match uh, as you were commentating? I thought it was a match that on the whole was underwhelming, but was saved by having one incredible moment, which was the match-winning goal. And, you know, having now experienced the Sydney Derby in person, it is just a better derby than anything else we've got in the A-League. Mainly mainly because of the balance of the fan bases. And uh, unfortunately, it's just because Melbourne City haven't been able to grow to the point. Like Last night was sort of 75-25 or maybe uh, 70-30, but that's because it was a Sydney home game and they were filling the two wings in addition to the Cove end. But the Western Sydney end was phenomenal in this game and they gave as good as they got the the pre-match TIFO, then Wanderers response banner, which was new nest, same rats, which I found amusing. was funny. Can I just say on that though, they took them a while to get it up. Get it the properly. right way round, yeah. <laughs> At one stage, it just said, like, same nest or something, and then it was like, or same... 
same rats. It was just yeah, it said same rats. They couldn't get the nest part right. Yeah, no, so <laughs> same rats. Ter- your 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 whole fans are going same rats. Like are you guys calling yourselves rats? What's going on? Anyway, I I did like it once we saw it properly. Sorry, so I I I thought that Wanderers uh, controlled most of the game, and I thought Newenhoff was was key to that. And Ninkovic came in and out of the game, and obviously had the big moment, which he wasn't able to score, and then had the assist for Yangi. Yangi still had a lot to do, but I thought Newenhoff was sort of the central piece of that midfield being able to sort of dictate when Western Sydney were able to force the issue and attack. And I just didn't see the same thing from Sydney FC. Yazbek had to do a lot of work and a lot of running, but he never really got into a creative position. Caceres was just kind of normal for Caceres. And then it was telling that Corica didn't bring on Max Burgess until immediately after the goal was scored. It's kind of like, no, I'm not going to be proactive to try to score first and win this game. I'm going to wait until we go one nil down to the team that is the new Western United and is the steel trap after taking a one nil lead. And then, hey, Max Burgess, go save us. And with all that said, they still nearly got lucky because Segacic really should have scored that that chance that fell to him. And where I was uh, doing radio for the game, you know, on the uh, the TV side of the screen. So this would have been the same experience of the viewer. He really should have hit the target with that shot. And there were a few chances through the game where players should have hit the target, but that, that should have been a potentially undeserved equaliser. But I think, you know, as underwhelming as the first half was and as much as the game needed a goal, it got a goal, it got a great moment. And I want to say well done to the security for not ejecting or being heavy-handed with any of the 100 or so Wanderers fans that fell over the fence and spilled out onto the field because that was just such a brilliant organic moment. And it was heartwarming stuff. I walked back to Central with um, a whole bunch, hundreds of fans after the game, and it really was just a great football experience and, and made me think about how different my life had been uh, had the A-League started when I was in early high school. Mm. I probably would have ended up being one of those ultras as opposed to, <laughs> or wannabes, more, more to the point, rather than ending up as a, a, as a broadcaster and a journalist uh, because it didn't start until I was at uni. But uh, no, it was a great experience. And, and still, I can, you know, the stadium's great. I can <laughs> see what all the hype is about. So, uh, you know, as our Liga says here, how good was the fans running onto the pitch? Okay, Buddy Franklin's 1,000th goal as the AFL invented it. That you know, I almost heard the stadium yell, Buddy, when uh, his goal went in. Uh, yeah, I think they were calling for him to be in the Socceroos. Obviously, a notable admission. We'll get onto that later when we talk Socceroos. Uh, I'll just say, in the stadium, uh, you know, amazing atmosphere. The Cove, you know, they really packed loud everyone around them they were really good at getting the other parts of the stadium involved the chant like you say rbb the wanderers fans fantastic i'd say like security apart from the issues about the wanderers fans getting into the stadium which that there was uh, some issues um from all accounts you know they were pretty hands-off i didn't see like i've seen at previous sydney derbies nine thousand police you know when you're walking to the stadium and you feel like you're entering i don't know a demilitarized zone or some crazy stuff like that mate it, compare it to just like an average game it's like Docklands, when mm. you know they would have the mm. you know full you know Judge Dread style you know police. Not even a comparison. I saw about six or seven cops the whole night, and most of those were just on the streets yeah. after the game, walking out of the ground, and they yeah. were very reasonable. It, not even a comparison to what it's like uh, at mm. a regular A League game in Melbourne. Never mind a derby. Totally, yeah, and cool. you know, I, I also would say, um, you know, what I think is cool that look, there were flares let off, there were bungers and firecrackers left on, and no one freaked out. You know, no one. Oh my god, you know, the suburban terrorist, uh, you know, points deductions, all that nonsense. All right, as as the great man once said, you know, enjoy no pyro, it. no party. <laughs> no fight, but also enjoy it. But enjoy it by being effing disciplined. All right, disciplined. Yeah. And you know what? I, as far as I know, you know, that's the thing. Flares, I like them. Don't throw them at people. Da da da. Firecrackers, I like them. Don't 
throw them at people or whatever. I don't know, scare. You know, what, what did you think? Day. What did you think of Sydney FC's TIFO? Because you would have been behind it, but you would have seen it still replicated uh, with the photos and on the scoreboard. Yeah, look, I liked kind of the attempt. I liked kind of the message. I thought it looked a bit weird. Like I was struggling to work out like, all right, that's Ryan Grant. All right, that's Redmayne. Redmayne also used to play for the Wanderers. And like and Corica was... was the other one. I had the same problem. I thought it was about, you know, putting Ninkovic in the mud and his tr- his jersey's just burning in mm. a tree in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nah, I, I get what kind of, the, like, oh, okay, forget Ninkovic. Let's talk about, you know, the players that we love and our legends. And also at the same time, there are some Sydney FC fans that I spoke to them who like, look, Ninkovic gave me so much happiness over the years. I don't hate him, even though he, you know, went to the the arch rivals. There were definitely, you know, it was great to boo. You know, I mean, I was there booing Ninkovic. I love Ninkovic. I'm not even really a Sydney FC fan. You've been outed. You've been outed. Bro, here's what I'll tell you. Right? I'll tell you what I am. I, I just participate. All right. At one stage, I was I was chanting with um the, the cove who were kind of like directly in front of me. And then the Wanderers fans started out chanting them. So I just started chanting with them too. Like I just, if a good chant is people around me must have hated me. And all I was doing Stole was basically saying, is the one wearing the Jason Derulo 2014 yeah. grand final shirts at every game he goes to and he has the the half half. Uh, the the booing the booing genuinely was not that loud or that vicious. Really. No, it no. was yeah, yeah. And also, I tried to get some booing going of Neumhoff, and I don't think enough Sydney FC fans <laughs> realised that he used to play for Sydney FC. That, that didn't really translate. And then also... I mean, after did, a... did Steve Corica realise that he used to play for Sydney <laughs> FC? <laughs> I think well, actually, after... no, Stoll, I wanted to ask, when did yeah. the Cove start turning on Steve Corica, or did you not hear a great deal of that? I, I didn't really hear a great deal of it, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I could tell you that around my section, there was one really annoying guy, mainly me, who just said after about eight seconds... Oh, time for a change. Let's get Burgess on. Uh, not creating. Burgess should come on. Wait, where's Burgess getting on? Man, what's Corica doing? Let's Burgess. So anyway, and uh, and then when he came on, just kind of a little bit too, like wow, what a sideways pass. Let, you know. uh, so apologies to anyone who sat near me. Um, but look, I'll just say on the night, uh, like I really like I really enjoyed going to the game. Like that that is somewhat of a rarity, uh, you know, for me. Uh, when it comes to a lot of Sydney FC games that I've gone to over the years. So it was a really good night. It was a really good moment. The, the match itself, the first 45 minutes, pff, like crap. Like if there wasn't an atmosphere, my goodness, that would have stunk the place out. But there was, and that's important because sometimes in football, the game stinks. And and I remember Ante said on this podcast, it's all about what happens on the pitch. Last night proved it. No, the first 45, pff, that, ignore it. Let's never talk about it again. Um, but you know, the second half it opened up, and I did. I did think it was amazing that Ninkovic was the protagonist in the goal. You know, he, he was the one who broke forward. He played in Yangi. Yangi did amazing. Great finish. Great goal. But it was really, especially to have that moment after the miss, because I thought the defining moment of the game was going to be that miss, and and that felt like the loudest cheer of the night. But it, it was incredible. Lockie, please. Well, I mean, it's it's a great point. It's not just the goal, but it's the massive chance for for Ninkovic previously, as you said, you thought would have been the defining moment. Because the ultimately, for for me, the the midfield and the the quality and the uh, intent from Western Sydney's midfield to actually try and make things happen. I don't want to keep on harping about like how important movement, you know, in behind net of the ball, like all that sort of stuff is, but it does really make a difference. And the, it's not a surprise to me that the two most consequential goal-scoring chances of the night come because Milos Ninkovic is, in the first instance, willing to make this run out of midfield in behind once Kripic has sort of come wide and then he plays that perfect ball through. 
it's come because the midfield has been willing to make the run. And then the other one's a, a, a sort of similar situation. Yes, it's a counter-attack and, you know, the the man who promised a two-foot Ninkovic uh, instead two-footed the air in Luke Bratton. Um, <laughs> but Ninkovic just goes on this massive carrying run and then plays the, the ball to Yengi who, who does the rest with a lightning fish. I mean, I would struggle to, to list the amount of times that a, a midfielder was willing to do that wearing a sky blue shirt in that game. Uh, Nick, what, what did you make? Let's just talk about the Wanderers because last week they got pumped by the Mariners. It was all, you know, big worry signs uh, for mm. the Wanderers, but kind of big, significant statement win for the this season's team. This, you know, really felt like the fans kind of were saying, yes, this is our team and, and we like yeah. the way this is heading. I think um, they defended brilliantly to give them that, like to give them credit. And that's Marcello something that we didn't good. see against the Mariners. Yeah. I mean, Marcelo and Marcello is looking like a brilliant partnership, which we have spoken about. I, I don't mind as well. Kluwer and Traore at fullback. I think they've found a, a bit of a diamond in the rough potential with Gabriel Kluwer. I, I don't mind him. I, I didn't know anything about him before this season. The words of Shaq. Like, I want yeah, to hear an apology. I wasn't Nick. City a chair. Well, unfortunately, Teo, that's a little bit outside my knowledge range, mate. Like that's a bit plastic. too far plastic. down the pyramid. Plastic. Only in the only looks at the big names. Yeah, Nick's more of a Nick's more of a primavera man. Start, right. <laughs> hey. Um. Anyways, on to like the rest with the Wanderers. Look, as we've spoken about, it wasn't the greatest game. You know, they're very predictable when they go forward, especially against set defense. They're playing a lot of long balls. Um. I don't think Solomon Kotopich was great. Uh, there was a lot of heavy touches, uh, a lot of moments where he probably could have made stuff happen, but just he again, stinks. those touches were... He yeah, stinks. it wasn't... It wasn't Get him out in January. At all. But I think what we might see is, because, you know, I thought Cassini Yangi was brilliant, um, is now that they've got uh, Yeni... Uh, Ingbakoto, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, back in the back in the squad and he came on for five minutes. Maybe we'll see him take a spot on the left-hand side and Yangi moving centrally. But I've said it at length. Like, I don't actually mind Yangi playing on the left as long as they've got someone proficient leading the line, someone who's actually going to be banging in the goals, bringing the ball down, doing a little bit more than what Kerepich has been doing in the opening stages. But Yangi showed yesterday as to why, I guess, the raps on him are so high with just his individual ability because he's got so much X factor for someone who is tall, he's quick, he can dribble and he can bloody hit them. Like it was beautiful work from Ninkovic, you know, first to play him through, which I thought was that great little hesitate, that little hesitate played him through, draw the defender out. But Yengi had to then see off the extra plays. Yeah. The Bowser. And then to keep his balance, you know, and fire that right into the top corner. Like you see so many strikers, just either it gets blocked or they fluff their lines, but he hit that perfectly right into the top corner. And just, I think there's a real player there. Um, sorry, Tara, just I'll quickly wrap this point about Yengi, but I think there's a real player there. Like there were some moments where he shows a little bit, like he tries to do a bit too much and he, you know, he gets a little bit caught in his own feet, but I like the confidence on him because I think that there is something there to build off. And I think as time goes on, when he just sort of, you know, irons that out of his game, I think he's going to be one hell of a player. No, just to, to follow your point. I don't think anything good that Yengi did was correlated with him starting on the left. I couldn't agree with you more that he should play in the middle. Mm. Uh, Kerpic, you know, did a lot of donkey work, but I don't think was particularly effective at it. And Ngbakoto showed plenty in his cameo. So I think you're onto it there. It, it's really more, is Radan committed to making Yengi as a wide target man slash tall winger work? 
even though he seems like he is very naturally a centre forward. Well, maybe Rude's liked what he saw from when Allegri played Mario Mandzukic as a left winger, and you know maybe he's oh. uh, that's the brainchild. Maybe it's the the left wing and target man. Maybe it's the long balls to someone out like that. But I, I, look, I think it's a good problem to have where you can put someone like Yengi out either out in the left or playing through the middle. Um, we'll, I guess we'll see what happens after the break. I mean, he's been quite wedded with this starting eleven when they've all been fit. And I think as the season goes on, because if they keep winning, I can't see Roots changing it. Even if, you know, a lot of people think, you know, Suleiman Kudapic is not playing well in his eyes, as long as he keeps scoring, which I think he scored now two goals this season, two or three, he's going to keep playing him. Like, that's just the fact. He's going to keep playing. He's going to stick with, stick with that same same starting 11. But as you mentioned, Teo as well, Umbakoto showed a lot. So it creates a bit of a, you know, a bit of a selection dilemma, which is not a bad thing in my opinion at all. And Remy Nadjarin on the bench as well. Look, well done to the Wanderers. Uh, great enough for them. And look, the league is just better when the Wanderers are good. And the league has needed the Wanderers to be good for a while. The league is also better when Sydney FC are good. Uh, and they are not right now. And I think we need to kind of talk about this because it was the first time that, you know, I think I saw a lot of Sydney FC fans on social media, at least. A lot of Corica out. What's Corica doing? Da, da, da. Now there's this gap. This gap where everyone can reassess, where every board is going to gather, where every... So, sorry, the, the gap is until the Celtic game, which is like on Tuesday or ah, Wednesday. Man, the, the Celtic game. I think I'm playing in the Celtic game, all right? You know, oh, really? Know. So you, you got picked up. You're showing for the uh, for the Stan All-Stars team. You got called up. <laughs> are, you, are you the keeper now that Redmayne's off to Qatar? I mean, I could, I could do it uh, for sure. <laughs> Look, I to be honest, I mean, I don't know. Is that, do, you reckon, do we know if that's sell, sold out? Like... Is that meant to be a big game? Sure. Because like, I don't know. I just don't care. Like, I just don't care when I don't think that like, I don't think Celtic obviously cares about this other than to get the money. I don't think Sydney FC cares about this right now. Um, I mean, Stoll, I think it's definitely a sellout, just not in the way that you mean. Just not, not a ticket <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Um, Look, let's talk about uh, Sydney. So, you know, a lot of tweets about Corica out and, you know. I Many think of them we... tagging the CEO, Adam Santo. That's one yeah. of the dangers of being a public facing CEO. And and I think you know we've been pretty critical of uh, Corica in the past, but this really seems like now it, it's a bit of a tipping point, right? Because the only wins that they've had all season is against Macarthur. They won three two, which they were up a man I think for sixty minutes, and they got that bit of a dodgy penalty um, to put them ahead. And then also uh, against Western United, who at the time we thought, oh, it's a pretty good result away in Melbourne uh, against Western United, but. I mean, apart from today's game, Western United have been pretty terrible. So you look at that and go, well, it's not great. You look at some of, you know, the change of system and da 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 Okay, Mac and Lolly have had moments, especially more so Lolly was quite good last night. I think Mac had a very poor game last night. The system doesn't seem to be creating a hell of a lot of chances. It doesn't seem to be doing anything that it didn't do previously, which was just get it to some guys, you know, individuals and hope that they can do something. The defense has issues. Previously, when Sydney FC were playing kind of poorly in seasons past, they had a solid backline of like Wilkinson and McGowan, for example. So if they weren't controlling the game, the other teams just really couldn't break down like such a solid uh, pairing at the back. Sydney FC don't have that anymore. So they're getting, they're copying it much more. You know, we even saw last night. I, I actually think it is probably time that Sydney FC do consider moving on from Corica. It has to depend on, you know, who is there to replace him. But surely this is starting to get unacceptable. I still haven't had a win in their new stadium. Lockie? I think... I'll go to Sorry, Mark. Go on, Lockie. 
No, go oh, Nick. Go. Who's going first? Uh, no, no, no. I was just going to say really quickly, I mean, you mentioned about the game plan. I think it just is, it's way too reliant on individual moments. Like it's way too reliant on Joe Lolly and Robert Mack just to pull something out and do mm-hmm. something. Like it's not like there aren't talented players on this books. This team has enough quality on the park when they're at full strength, when you have Rodwell in defense and even when you have Alex Wilkinson, despite his age, this team is a lot better than what they're playing right now in terms of what they've got at an A-league level. But it is just, as you said, like if Mac and Lolly aren't doing anything, then how are they going to win? Because a lot of it is relying on them cutting inside, making stuff happen. And passing to guys like Exactly. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, players like Patrick Wood and, and LaFondra before that, they just weren't getting those opportunities. It, it seems like they almost get lost in the system. And I think Patrick Wood, when he's been able to get into the game, has looked really good in those moments. And but they didn't, they yeah, didn't play to Wood's strength and use him as a back-to-goal yeah. striker or an outlet for long balls once the entire nope. game. And he was virtually anonymous because the only time you did see him was when he was pressing when the other team was in possession. Sydney FC did absolutely nothing to actually try to utilize him. And that's why they subbed him off for Segacic and changed it up in the second half. But at, at, at what point is the shout to actually use him? At what point is the halftime team talk to use him? And if that's the case... If not the case, why are you starting him if you're not going to actually try to play to his strengths in the system? Lockie? I mean, it, like, it's... I'm not a coach, obviously. I'm not going to go run defense with Steve Crocker and say I haven't done my best or anything. Don't worry. I don't want to invoke <laughs> that on the pod. But, but, right, I would imagine that it's a pretty, like, universally understood principle that as a, a, a coach, your job is to get the best out of the 11 that you've got on the park not the best out of two players on that 11 and hope that those two can raise the average of the rest. You've got to play, you know, if you've got a a set, a team with a bunch of individual characteristics, you've got to work out how all of those mesh together best rather than just leaving it to the two who have the most appealing characteristics. And that's a large reason. And as we've said on the the, the pod before, um, Sydney FC will live and die by the performances of of Robert Mack and Joe Lolly. And if play, if teams figure out how to deal with that, as they did with Robert Mack last night, Sydney are going to struggle. And for me, like you guys have talked about the sort of playing element of it, I think it's also the, the what also heaps a big load of pressure onto Corica for this game, not just the the style, but also the the management of the squad. Like, yes, Mack and Lolly are good players they brought in um, who, you know, big tick recruitment-wise, but... This game happened in the context of two of the best players in the opposition team being former Sydney players. Being yeah, exactly. Uh, former Sydney players. Now, Ninkovic, uh, I understand there's a whole different element, you know, the visa, that kind of thing. I can understand that. But Neuenhoff, uh, I mean, it, well, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's, to me, that's unforgivable. No, no. Unless it's TNC, where foresight is 2020, and we yeah. knew this was we knew this was always going to happen. Yeah, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't surprising. Sorry, Lockie, just a, a devil's yeah. advocate moment with with Neuvenhoff. and I mean this probably was because a byproduct of maybe how he was utilised at Sydney throughout his two years, even though he had all the injuries. But Sydney wanted to keep him. He they had an offer on the table for him to stay. And he decided, I want to go to the Wanderers. And that probably was a byproduct well, of but, him. But what, were the, not yeah, that what were the factors that led yeah, to him exactly. deciding so, that? Well, I was just wanting to add to that. To play one, devil's yeah, advocate probably, to yeah. the devil's advocate, my understanding was that the, the way that they managed his injuries, he wasn't happy with that either. And that was one of the mm. reasons he wanted to go. So but uh, it, you let him go. At the end of the day, this guy was in your youth team. 
and and by the way, this is a few players now because Talbot as well. And I know Talbot went to Melbourne yeah. City and maybe they offered him more money. But you're Nick bringing Dutch these players, to Mariners. yeah, yeah, exactly. You're bringing these players through, and then you're not providing them with a future into the first team that that these players at least agree on, whether it's the way they manage their minutes, their injuries, whatever. And you're now it's costing you, and now you're having to rely on foreigners and this type of thing. And these foreigners, I don't think, are up to it, in my opinion. Go lucky. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's not. It's not just the fact that these were the players that went out the door as well. It's the kind of player who's come in as a as a replacement to fill a visa slot. And like, yeah, Jack Rodor hasn't seen a minute for Sydney FC yet. He could come in when he returns from injury and be really good. But the fact mm. that he has a prolonged, I mean. Injuries have literally defined Jack Rodwell's career. It is yeah. the main reason, if not the sole reason, why his career never reached the heights that it was supposed to. The, the idea that this guy, uh, as a visa signing in a you know a very a league that has very restrictive rules about players, the idea that this guy could get injured for a prolonged period of the season was on the cards. It wasn't unforeseeable, and that really frustrates me. Really, really frustrates me when A league teams have these situations where the edge punter can somehow see a situation happening in the future yet for whatever reason, you know, the, the clubs aren't as proactive about those kind of things like Rodwell being injured um, and you prioritizing, bringing him in, not a shock to anyone else that he is now injured and hasn't featured. Um, quickly from the YouTube comments, our Liga says Corica is a dead man uh, walking. Uh, Shake Yabuti 29 <laughs> says Corica has been shown up. The Emperor has no clothes. Fan have been saying this for months. I mean, this is a crucial thing because, you know, look, previously, uh, you know, people in this pod could have been uh, accused of uh, criticizing, you know, Arnie when he was having some success uh, at Sydney and even Corica when he was having some success. But the Sydney FC fans were always behind their coach even when we said look Arnie the football's pretty boring but at least you know you're up there da, da, da. same with Corica's first couple of seasons you know we don't love the football but at least you're getting results and you're making you know grand finals and winning championships now it feels like a moment and you said it Teo I, I didn't hear it but if the fans are turning when you really need the fans to come with you on this journey into this new stadium it does feel like it's decision time for Sydney FC yeah, to be fair, we we got a first-hand view of it, view of it in the documentary, and they made the decision to extend, which is going to make it even more difficult now to change course. And I don't think they will. I think they'll uh, they'll batten down the hatches and they'll hope that Corica turns it around, mainly off the back of individual performances from the star players. Just to use a, a, a favourite TNCs, and I know it's going to drive Stoll crazy. Uh, Sydney FC have made their bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay. Let me tell everyone out there: Sunday night, make your bed for sure. But you don't have to sleep in such a terrible bed, all right, my friends. You can you can make it again. You can get new sheets, all right. Whatever you can sleep on the couch. This is preferable. Um, look, are there any other thoughts uh, on Sydney FC, on West Sydney Wanderers, on the Derby uh, before we move on? Espresso no, edition. Good. Coffee's getting cold. All, all right, we're, we're good. We're good. I just okay. quickly say, very funny. I love funny moments in the A League. So funny that Ninkovic became an Australian citizen this week. Like, just so, like, perfect timing. Thank you, oh, immigration. Oh, the timing of the release. Like, perfect. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And, and just just quietly, this A League's All Access is going to be, like... Oh, oh yeah. This A League's All Access on Thursday is going to be really good. So... The, Good timing. I still have to catch up with the uh, Newcastle episode. So I don't know. If there's it's good, it's good ep- that's actually a really good episode, just quietly. Yeah, it was really good. 
Nick DeBano works for the A-Wigs and uh, we'll... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, saying, it was a good episode, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, check it out, check it out. Uh, maybe keep an eye out for anyone in the background, I think. Um, look, let's talk about uh, Adelaide versus Melbourne victory, all right? That, well, you know, this this seemed like a really good night uh, for Adelaide. Seems like there's a really good atmosphere around that club at the moment. Um, goals and assists, uh, Craig Goodwin uh, got a penalty, uh, you know, <laughs> Got a free kick and set up um, uh, Wallen uh, for the goal late in the game there. Uh, Ibasuki, who was once, uh, I think, you know, hounded on this pod, has got a brilliant header. Um, yeah, Adelaide, it's looking all right for them. You know, the human handbrake, Carl Viet, uh, has he released it a little bit or is he just managing to push enough well, of the accelerator? Are, are we sure he wasn't forward? playing against a, a card that's up on stocks? So even 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 the car with the handbrake is slightly further advanced. That's a great um, shout. That's a great shout. I want, we should, let's give Adelaide credit before we you know yeah smash victory. Look to to their credit, they I thought Adelaide played pretty well. Um, I thought Ethan Allegic in particular looks yeah. looks like another find in this you know seems like never ending no, pipeline of not a find. I mean you know he comes from a long line of Allegic's who played professional what, football one? in Australia. All right, you, yeah, if you yeah, can't find yeah, someone's kid, but, like, but still, he's a find in the youth setup. All right, like, how many act, act father like sons are there? Like, not every father son or you know <laughs> doesn't have to be a good player. Yeah, you know, this is a, this, this is sorry to use an AFLism. Don't no, tempt like, me, Nick. <laughs> like, just saying, like, he's another young player at Adelaide who, when given the opportunity, has shown that there's something there. Like we've seen it with Alexander Popovich and Esther Irankunda and now Ethan Allegic, that there are, they've got some real talented players coming through. And I thought he was fantastic. Like he gave um, the, the Melbourne victory double pivot hell all game. I thought Josh Berlante especially really, really struggled up against Ethan Allegic. And he, I don't think he had a great game at all. Um, but in terms of what Adelaide were able to do, I thought, you know, they just took their chance as well. They defended, I thought, quite well as well. I don't think they'll really put under enough pressure, but the economy miss, which, you know, really like that was a, a bad miss right in front of goal there from economy should have done better there. Um, but they just did what they had to do. They, they frustrated victory. They pressed, they did well. And to, to all the, the the I know the vitriol that Hiroshi Basuki copped from a from a certain panelist on this uh, podcast, an ex panelist. He as much as like yeah, he's a, he's a big guy. Like he's not sort of incorporative in possession and everything else. When he gets himself in good areas, he's a good bloody header of the ball. So if you're going to put the ball in his head, similarly with Previch, nine times out of ten, it's ending up in the back of the net or it's ending up on target. He scored three goals in three games now. It's been a good run from him, but it was a I thought a really, really good header and look, Adelaide did what they had to do, but conversely for victory guys, like they just did nothing to move me. Like they, they went back to what we saw, you know, similarly before the Newcastle game, like, you know, I think it might've been a situation with Newcastle in that game where they probably left themselves a bit open defensively. didn't have the same quality defensively at Adelaide and maybe Brisbane as, as a unit and the Wanderers have, but, this is now, I think, at the studies, uh, four go- four games out of their last five that haven't scored a goal, right? They scored three against Sydney, four against Newcastle, but this is another game like that. They they tried something new with Fornaroli up top, and he couldn't get into the game whatsoever. Uh, they they dropped Jake Brimmer as well, along with Daggers, and started Economides, Falami, and Nani, but they just were not able to get anything going. And 
I think that's also an issue of what's happening behind them too, because when you got guys like Marshan and Brillante, who are two very similar, you know, deep lying players who, you know, aren't, you know, going to move the ball, like not sort of the needle moving kind of midfielder is going to be able to get the ball and progress things up the field. They're always going to find that little bit of a handbrake. We talk about human handbrake, like in, in that instance, when you got those two, we've seen it time and time again, that's what victory is falling into the trap of. And once actually Jake Brimmer came on, um, they were actually able to create a couple of chances. So I obviously, you know, he was probably straight back into the lineup after the break, but I think there's a lot of soul searching victory need to do. And also defensively, like the other thing as well, we speak about Ibasuki's height, Lee Broxham starting in defense, you know, I know they have Roderick Miranda there as well, but this just so goes to show victory. Martinez of, uh, yeah. Vi- victory oh. need to go and buy a center back in January. I think, I think that, they definitely have to. Like, there are some big issues in their centre-back uh, stocks right now. Um, if they're not going to play George Timotheo, who they brought in, then they have to start looking to get someone else in because if Spiranovic isn't going to be back soon, um, if Timotheo, who was supposed to be the Hamill replacement, isn't going to play, then they've got to find someone else. Lockie, your thoughts on the match? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't watched the the, the full game because I was out, but I, I just want to hone in on that, that point that... Um... <laughs> Shut up, Stoll. Uh, that point that Nick made about the defense. And it goes back to something I was saying earlier when talking about Steve Corrick. And I'm not about to, to suggest that Popovich gets sacked. I'm not. Um, no, it's another thing. Oh, no, um, there's, no, there's no way that will happen. No, no it's not going to happen. No. But my point about A-League men's coaches not being able to foresee situations that from the outside looking in seem obvious. And I remember when... Uh, Joey released his uh, A-League men's season preview and we all had to chime in with a paragraph about different teams, right? And I, I, I had to do victory and I was looking over their list and thinking, literally the first thought I had about the list, other than, oh, it's definitely stronger than last year. They brought in some quality. Nani will be exciting. Was, gee, if one of their defenders gets injured, there's going to be a bit of problem there to the point where you, and you can, this is public information. You can go and Google it. You know, there are concerns around defensive depth. And the minute Matthew Spranovic got injured, that defense with Lee Broxman has fallen off a cliff. So there are options at the moment. I mean, Timothy, who is, as Nick said, if he can't get a game ahead of the undersized Lee Broxham in a game where their striking opponent is this massive giant, that is a massive, massive problem and not a good but, look for Timothy. Why but, did they sign him to begin with, honestly? Like that was but, a head but, scratcher from, and, and just yeah. because you all of all of a sudden you have the victory fan base behind you saying you're good, uh, and going against the grain means inviting on the criticism of said fan base. Has that has that intimidated people out of saying why on earth did victory yeah. sign George Timotheo to begin with? But the, I mean, it seems to this point that a large basis of their having a solid defense and their defense first plan under Popper working was having the partnership of Sparanovic and Miranda. And again, like with Jack Rodwell, Matthew Sparanovic has been a player whose career has been in many parts defined by injury and absence from the game. The idea that he might not feature week in, week out was not a shock. So there should have been more thought yeah, going into Lockie, who plays. You've got to momentum. understand that increasingly contingency planning in this game is now seen as negativity. And unless you are a blue sky, happy clapper who only looks at the best case scenario, you're considered some sort of heretic. It, it's, it, it, it's becoming the case at so many clubs because it's being passed down from the national team. Mm. Um, 
Why do you guys think Nani is having such a kind of rough start to the season? Uh, as Aliga says via YouTube, um, Nani has been a very disappointing. Performance on Friday was putrid. Uh, look, no goals. Uh, I think one assist from memory against uh, Sydney in the first game. Came out here, we were, you know, we were excited. Uh, you know, he looked fit. Um, he, he has little moments of, of quality, a, a touch, a little move where you think, oh, yeah, we can see why you're such a good player. But really hasn't been what victory was hoping for, what the A-League was hoping for. Do you think it's a systemic thing? Do you think it's an issue with him? Um, why do you think Nani struggled? Tay, I'll go to you first. He's 35 and was on the decline already at Orlando, and he's an NRI sugar hit signing. And we all invested a lot of faith because we thought he was initially thought he was going to be one of a handful. Now he's one of one. And it means that the scrutiny is on him squarely every week rather than mm-hmm. being divvied up between one matter or Fabregas or, you know, whoever at mm-hmm. a bunch of different teams. So he's carrying the league in a marquee sense. But I don't think it was unrealistic after his Orlando stint to expect marquee performances. Once again, it was the Victory fan base that essentially turned him into nanny of seven or eight years ago rather than nanny of today. And and maybe we're just holding him to too high a standard for a guy who might be ripped and might be incredibly fit, but is still 35. Yeah, look, uh, I, I, I think. Well, just, you just sounded the alarm before the uh, before the season because you'd, you'd seen him a little bit at Venezia, and you were like, "Look, he wasn't good." Um, are you surprised? Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that I thought maybe playing in a in in the A League, maybe in a full preseason and everything like that, it might lend better to him because there's just not the same quality of players over the, in, in Serie A. It's no secret, but. Uh, no to the same point because as Tao said, and as I said early in the bit that he's just not the same player. It's human evolution. Players naturally with age, they regress physically and he hasn't got that same explosive yard of pace. And it sometimes seems like from the outside and I don't want to sort of, you know, put words in his mouth and his head as to what he's actually thinking, but he gets in those moments where he's in isolation one-on-one with the defender. And you could see he wants to use that trademark burst to, to get past the guy, but he second guesses himself a little bit, gets himself caught up a little bit. He's almost in two minds. For me personally, if they're going to get the best out of Nani, Nani has to play as a 10 because he's still got a lot of technical aspects that I think are brilliant. Like he can still put in a good ball. He can shoot. He's got good dribbling, but he hasn't got that pace anymore. I mean, we saw it. We've seen it with so many older players that have come down here when they get to that stage of their career. If they haven't got that burst of pace, especially to play out wide in a PMP league, when you're playing off the break, it's not necessarily going to lend itself quite well. So I know Jake Brimmer is wedded to that 10 position. Um, but for me personally, if you can find a way to play both, I know they tried it against Brisbane, but it might not be the worst thing to maybe look at it again. As much as Brimmer has those um, defensive sort of deficiencies in comparison to Marshan and Brillante, I think it might be something to take a look at. Um, and I'm surprised even this game when they had the opportunity to maybe do that. They played Economides as the 10 and didn't play him out wide and played Nani on the right-hand side. I think having him, someone who can just drop deep, get the ball, set things up, we saw it to a, a different extent with Del Piero when he was older. I know Del Piero didn't have the same pace as Nani when he was at his best at Juventus, but he was someone who could utilize the lack of physical, you know, sort of attributes that he had at that age, but to create things out of nothing from deep. So just be that guy who could put those balls into the area and make some make something happen out of nothing. 
that might be what victory need to look at because he just doesn't have that yard. And, you know, I think he's still got a lot of ability. I still think he could be very good down here, but it depends how he's used. That's the key thing. I think he has to be used differently and maybe on the wing might not be the answer. Lockie. I oh, just going to say my, my natural reaction to, to Nick's uh, Nick's statement there is that basically what they need is Nani to become the Alessandro Diamante of Melbourne victory. There's all <laughs> it's no, not, it's not no, no runs, total fumes, all set pieces, one shot on target for the season. <laughs> Shots from halfway. But, but, um, but you know what though? Like I, I still think like I, I'm not going to put the, the line through him yet to say bad signing or whatever else. I still think he can be a very good signing. Here. Now, to be fair, so now's a good time to do it to because time, yeah. there's a three-week gap until he can potentially mm-hmm. make you eat your words. Exactly. And and there's there's a good chance now, like he, he might be able to use this period. Like I know that if you're looking from a personal standpoint, he's had a kid, you know, there's a lot of external situations. He's still adjusting to moving to Australia as well. I know he's had a lot of a preseason, but he might have those three, four weeks get himself right a little bit more. Um, Tony Popovich said he's been battling a bit of a, I think there's a bit of a niggle, like he's not 110% fit. If he can get himself 100% fit, maybe we could see a little bit more from him. But I think we've, got, we've probably got to give him a little bit more time. It's been six games. There's still a long way to go this season. And he's on a two-year contract as well. Um, so before we completely sort of, you know, put the, the firm marker through his name to say not a good signing, I think we do need to give him the benefit of the doubt of more time. But I still stand by the point that I think personally, I'd play him as a 10. Um, friend of the pond, Hiraldo says, I, I'd say I can't believe how bad Brillante was and how long Popovich kept him on against Adelaide. But dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. Just, you know, it's finished on a high. I just want to give a bit of praise. I thought Ryan Kiddo had a really good game and has had a you know, a few good games for Adelaide and looked really good for them, uh, especially kind of going forward. Uh, defensively, lacks a little bit. Um, but also uh, credit to George Blackwood coming on, winning the penalty. You can bet your house on him. All right, uh, let's go to uh, the you know, espresso edition. We've got to keep the show moving. Melbourne City uh, v Newcastle Jets will be super quick on this one. Um, look, the Jets, what can you say? Uh, they're not box office in terms of results, uh, but at least their games are, are fun to watch. A lot of things happen. Uh, Michael Weir did a Superman impression uh, <laughs> you know, when he missed the ball. I mean, um, to me, that was that box office. It, it was, you know, it was Charlie Zone Chaplin's stunts. box office, but it was box office all the same. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They're, they're a comedy act this season. Um, <laughs> look, Jets stock. Is anyone is anyone buying the low jet stock? Because I think I'm buying because I just, there's something there. Piscopo. I think Piscopo's a really good player. Nickel Tud. There's little things that I just see. I think, maybe. I I don't. I don't have. I've never sold my jet stock to the full extent that maybe some others have. I've kept. I've kept a couple shares. All right. Like I've kept (laughs) some. Like you know, I'm not. I'm not completely. You know, shorting my shares. I. I am keeping them. I still think that there is something that they. I still think there's a lot more capability that they have, especially in their attacking third. And I think they showed that a little bit yesterday. Um. So no, I'm not. Not selling just yet. Um, all right, just quickly, uh, you know, g- good to see uh, Marco Tilio didn't have the best week get being left out of the Socceroos squad, but it did really well to get that assist for Jamie McLaren. Good to see Jamie McLaren scoring. Uh, you know, obviously he's probably going to see some minutes uh, at the World Cup. Then I'll feel start. But, um, you know, he's, he's in amazing form. And also we've got to talk about the Arliga belt, uh, Valon Barisha. Someone has to beat Melbourne. Retains. So he, he retains. He, he retains once again. Um, he, even his own teammates scoring own goals can't get the belt off. <laughs> yeah. Mate, I've got to say, though, how about the actual belt holder, the one who never truly lost it in Priovic coming back today and scoring <laughs> and saying, hey, 
I'm still I'm still here, guys. I, I don't well, think the next the next Western v City game will be basically Absolutely. unification bout, won't it? It, it will. It will. Um, and another good performance uh, from uh, an ex Sydney FC player in Talbot. Um, I thought uh, as well. I got to say on uh, we, I thought he made some really good saves after his disastrous performance. If you've just seen that goal and people thinking, oh, you know, this guy, what a disaster of a keeper. It was a really bad moment for him, but he did respond well. But, he made. Uh, can, can I just say? I think it brushed his hair. He didn't miss it by as far as some people might think. He still missed it, but I'm pretty sure it did actually skim his hair on the way past. It's not like he was in a different postcode. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's true. And you know what? There, there's also an argument for, you know, the Jets are making this risk by playing such a high line, by not having, you know, the, the Jets, they press, and I just feel like I like I like them pressing high, and I, it shows bravery to me, and it's something that a lot of A-League teams don't do, press and play such a high line, especially against Jamie McLaren and, and Melbourne City. You would think this is the kind of team that they wouldn't do that against but they didn't execute it very well. And there were multiple times, uh, you know, where they broke through. And also I just want to say a great pass from Scott Jamison uh, for that goal that McLaren scored, that long crossfield pass. Tilio took it beautifully. You know, it was a really great goal. But I, I think we can end uh, the chat there unless anyone has anything further to add. Quick Not quick question from the, the YouTubers. Aliga, can City go the season undefeated? What do we think? I think they can. I don't wow. think they will, but I think they can. I okay. think that they, they definitely can. Because I think they're going to get better. And I think once they get all their, you know, once Florian Baron goes back as well, um, I spoke to him on Friday and he said that he is doing all he can to hopefully be back after the break. But he's, you know, he's tracking well. Um, you know, Nuno Raish and Curtis, well, Nuno Raish uh, back hopefully from concussion sometime soon. Curtis Good and Andrew Naboo weren't playing yesterday. I genuinely think they can keep getting better. And Give me sky's the limit for him. Percentage. Uh, I'm going to say it's a, it's 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 above fifty percent. I'm going to say sixty. It's a it's above fifty. They go undefeated, more than yeah. likely. Whoa, Nevada. Yeah. Any, can anyone beat more than sixty percent for? Uh, no, nah, they, they'll have a 30. they'll have a swoon, but I can't see them losing more than three games. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the two Is big it? big tests to that theory uh, will be the 27th of December against the Mariners, uh, a team who beat them, I think, mm. twice in preseason. Uh, and then mm-hmm. more to the point, the 29th of January when they take on Adelaide, even if it is at home. Uh, we know that Adelaide are a side that have given City problems in the past with their, their press work. Yeah. So those are going to be the two big challenges for me. And I, I wouldn't, even though I've said it's more than likely, I wouldn't rule out the game against the Wanderers as well on the 15th of Jan at Wonderland just because we know what the Wanderers can do defensively. But also, like, a Melbourne derby. Like, as much as Victory haven't played well, it's a Melbourne derby. Like, anything can happen in those sort of games. And the the natural sort of excitement and exuberance and players sort of getting up for these derbies might be something to keep an eye on. So I think it'll be a nice little subplot to see how far they can go. Because have we had an A... Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. We haven't had, like, a full season A-Legs Invincibles, have we? So we had the raw streak, but that was over correct. two seasons, you, correct? Believe me, we'd be talking about them every week if we'd had an A-Legs Invincibles. Yeah, I mean, FC lost it, one game one season. Is it unfair to say, without wanting to take too much away from City, is it unfair to say that they're opening six games of the season? They've arguably played the bottom half of the teams, with the possible exception of Sydney FC. I mean... Uh... United United weren't good. Uh, Raw, Victory have fallen off a cliff. Phoenix, been, whose defense has been shoddy. Glory, and then a, the Jets. Who's... Yeah, it's good fixture list. It's a good fixture list. Yeah. Um, Maybe you, you got to win them. You got to win them. Hey, guys. We know you love your footy. 
but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. Hey, speaking of you got to win them, uh, let's talk about the Matildas. Let's welcome in Taryn. Uh, let's make sure that everyone's nice and big. Da-da-da-da. Welcome to the show, Taryn. Taryn, look, let's get into it. There's going to be a lot of RBA. There's going to be a lot of results-based analysis. Matildas for Sweden nil. Tony Gustafsson didn't, from my saw, didn't have the scarf on, didn't have the little microphone Madonna thing going on. Was these the changes that we needed at the top level for the Matildas to win against a big team? What are your thoughts? I mean, firstly, I really enjoyed the sort of round of applause that I got as I entered as if I had done the winning. Like, yes, I was responsible for the victory over Sweden. Yeah, because um, I listened to the Massive Dub podcast and apparently they're putting placards up of you on the dressing room wall, Taryn, saying Taryn doesn't believe in us. And there's, no, there's nothing more powerful as a motivating tool in this game than members of the media not believing in the players. And Taryn, can I also say, you wouldn't be the first person in Australian football to take credit for something that they didn't do. So, you know, I think it's just part of the football heritage of this game. Um, but please, give us more than a bit of RBA because everyone's high on the 4-0 win. You know, Caitlin Ford was amazing. You know, Katrina Gorey had a great game. There were some really nice goals. Um, what were your thoughts at the match? Yeah, I mean, like, we should be high on the win. It was a good win. Uh, it was comprehensive. There was, for, for most of the game, not all of the game, but for most of the game, we were the better team. Um, I think it's, as soon as we've started going away from this uh, 4-3-3, as soon as, you know, we, we started with a 4-2-3-1 and Caitlin Ford was central. And I think that was, you know, as has been sort of commented on, I think that was the biggest thing. Caitlin Ford, central, she started off playing the number 10 uh, later on moved uh, further forward and it moved into more of a 4-4-2. That was the tactical adjustment that Tony Gustafsson talked about in about the 30th minute. And for the most part, except for periods of that first 30 minutes, we were the better team and we were all over them. And I think that's that's really exciting. Of course, there are some asterisks. Um, Sweden was missing a number of their best players they were missing Freelina Rolfo, really notably, who scored a total of three goals against us at the Olympics um, across the two games. They were missing Carolyn Sager from the midfield. Magdalena Eriksson was on the bench, didn't play. So, yes, it wasn't Sweden's strongest team. There are also, you know, you look at the game, Kyra Kunikos could have been sent off <laughs> in the first half. Uh, she picked up an early yellow and I think in a competitive match. Here's a question. Is Anna Maria Kylie our referee for the tournament? Is she just going to do all seven of our games? Uh, is she <laughs> related in any way to Byron Moreno? Because this isn't the first time she has given us a very friendly ride in a friendly. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's those question marks. I mean, aside from aside from that, I, I actually think Kyrie Cooney-Cross had a, had a pretty decent game. But she's this is this is probably the pitfalls. You, you're never going to have the most perfect system. You're never going to tick every single box. That's the way that football is. And I would rather see us playing this kind of football, playing what is essentially when we attack kind of a 4-2-4 with the likes of Cooney Cross and Gori in that midfield, sacrificing a bit in midfield. We did look vulnerable on the counter before we made that change and dropped people a little bit deeper with the knowledge that 
you know, Cooney Cross is due a red occasionally and um, it may not not be the best sol- defensively solid and may be caught on the counter. I would rather us play the way that we're playing because it's, it's going to get results more often. And I think the way that we've played in the past is sort of put someone in that six role that didn't necessarily suit it and um, play the, you know, Sam Kerr as a target man. If you're playing in the system that allows for Caitlin Ford to have a more central role or anyone else, uh, I think that that it, it just suits us so much better and you can see the results of that on the field. Do you think this is kind of our, our new lineup, our new formation heading into the, the 2023 World Cup? Is, is this something that he's going to look at and say, this is what I want, you know, for the first game uh, when we kick off the tournament? I don't think you could, like structurally, obviously there's going to be some player changes. Um, the defense will be different. Hopefully Ellie Carpenter's back, of course. Um, and I I don't think Charlotte Grant had her best game. Um, I think it's fair to say. Um, so Ellie Carpenter will be back and Alana Kennedy will, will slot into to defense and Steph Cutley will be left back. I think, yes, Steph Cutley has been playing center back for Arsenal and, and she did okay, but we lose too much. She... With everyone fit, she needs to play left back. I think it would be a, a mistake for her to be put into centre back um, too too prematurely. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I think for the most part, this this has to be it. Um, again, players will change, but you know, Caitlin Ford and Sam Kerr centrally in a in a in a front two. We've talked about it on this on this pod before. I don't I don't think it serves the team. Someone who got abducted by aliens sat down one on one with the coach and talked to him about it, and the coach is still there. And the other guy got abducted by aliens. So what does that tell you? Well, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for you to go on your Jens Felsen victory lap, Teo. So <laughs> um, I'm sure I'm sure that will be that will be upcoming. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been evident for a while. Like so many things that we've talked about have been evident for a while. It's taken months, years for them to be implemented. When they're implemented, we're seeing results. You know, like again, yes, there is an asterisk. It's not Sweden's best team. The asterisk is not big enough to take away from a four-nil victory over a team like Sweden. You know, it, it's it is a promising result. It is something we can be optimistic about, and. I think we are moving in the right direction. There are still little things that like annoy me <laughs> and little, obviously little things that aren't perfect. We could have gone into halftime a goal down rather than a goal up. I don't think that we were completely outplayed in the first half, but it could have been a different situation. But that second half was a, you know, we, we were all over them and it's, it's nice to have such a comprehensive victory. Um, Ben Smith, who was at the game in Melbourne, it was the best performance of the Tony G era. The bar has now been set. It is up to him slash players to sustain that. Gorry's ability to drive from midfield, particularly in the second half, was fantastic. Um, Taryn, were you at the game uh, yesterday? Yeah, I was, yeah. Talk to us just as well about kind of the atmosphere. You know, it's been a while since Matilda's game in Melbourne and it seemed like it was a great occasion. It was a great, kind of great weekend for Australian football with the A-League having some good crowds as well. But, you know, it seemed like there was a good feeling in the crowd and, and a good representation in terms of age groups as well. Yeah, for sure. Glorious Melbourne. Uh, finally, <laughs> finally getting our chance. And look what happens. You come to Melbourne, you win 4-0. Uh, <laughs> I believe you're from the Central Coast, all right? Stay loyal to Blue Tongue. Hey, we'll, so what you're so- we'll win 4-0 on Tuesday. It's all good. It's all good. So what you're saying, Taryn, is that when we play Canada, the fact we're playing in Melbourne 
it's done. We're winning that game. There's no issue with the Women's World Cup. We're going to be fine. There's no need to analyze further. There's no need to think about it any more than that. That's it. That's it. We're, we're, we're winning the group. We're winning the World Cup. Uh, no, like it's it's fantastic. You know, it's a, for people who have been fans of the Matildas for a long time in Melbourne, it feels, you know, really frustrating. And I'm sure there'll be like, you know, people from other states being like, oh, Melbourne's, you're not that far away. It's not that annoying. But it, uh, you know, it it does feel like we've we've been left in the dark the last well, few no, years. Well, no, was... to be fair, the Victorian government's busy literally underwriting a different sport. Yeah, I'm so... not trying to be fair. I'm trying to be parochial and annoyed. So, <laughs> um, no, it, it 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 was a fantastic atmosphere. I think so many people, like so many people who've become fans of the team in the last few years, this is their first opportunity to see the team live. So I think that that's that's a fantastic thing always. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like Matilda's brand is still strong, despite you know we've we, like the last year there's not been good results, not been good performances, and that can really start to to take its toll. But it does still feel like there is a strong core, you know, support for this team. Uh, Debana, Taryn, I was just going to ask, what are you hoping to see on Tuesday night? Obviously, up in Gosford against Thailand, are you hoping to see, I guess, more of the same in terms of structure, but maybe some new faces as well integrated into the team for that game? Yeah, exactly that. I hope that we stick with the the same or similar structure. Um, I imagine there'll be some rotation, uh, particularly, you know, like we might see see McNamara play. We might see. Uh, some some others. Alex Chidiak, of course, unfortunately picked up an injury. We don't know how serious that is, but uh, Melbourne victory in the mud. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I imagine that we'll, we'll see different personnel. But I, I do hope that we continue along this path because I think it's the right path, and I think we're we're seeing results based on that. Lockie. Yeah, I mean, Taryn or or Teo, feel free to to answer. But the the four four two that sort of switch did. I think make a make a huge difference to the the flow of the game. It brought the best out in uh, in forward for sure. I, I guess I, my question or my like lingering concern is: Does that change in formation? Does it translate to a game where you know we don't take the first significant chance that we have? Is it is it an approach that's suited to uh, say a situation where we're maybe chasing a, a, a game, or will there be a different approach? Is this Something we can carry through and it can be an, an all-weather solution rather than when we're, you know, have the lead already. I found Ford's answers both uh, in the post-game interview on 10 and in the press conference quite frustrating. Harps asked her a great tactical question and then Grace asked her the same question reworded and both times Caitlin Ford's answer was, yeah, I just needed an off-season. Like, give us actually talk about the football, please. It was just a killer because what it allows is for everyone who would rather just talk about, oh, you know, women's football, they don't get an off season. They can go and obfuscate and, um, you know, talk about an issue that's not really relevant to what was pretty apparent in front of our eyes, which is an incredibly stubborn tactical team with a head coach who prides himself on delegating and not taking responsibility, delegating to someone new. The team has three wins from three since Jens Felstrom came in. Simple as that. Tony G had abdicated his position. He is a mouthpiece. He is Jürgen Klinsmann, and he has finally found his Yogi Lowe. He's finally found someone who can do it. And so, yes, he can keep charming people and he can keep winning the press conferences. But if your headline takeaway out of this is Tony G football brain, 
then God help you because it's really about <laughs> yeah. who he is. It's who he's delegating to. Previously, he was delegating to people who couldn't get it done. Now he's delegating to people who can. And I think bravo because they recognized the change and we didn't get stuck with a stubborn coach who was going to go down with his ship. He's recognized his limitations and now he's brought in Fjellstrom to save not just him, but the entire program. Well done. All right, uh, Taryn, anything further to add on to the Matildas? Um, not really, except to say that it was it was fun. It was <laughs> unexpected and <laughs> the fun. surprise in your voice. The same thing <laughs> with me at the Sydney Carpet. I mean, we all watched the Euro semi. Sweden are a mentally weak team. D- did we see the jog that they barely raised tracking back for Caitlin Ford's second goal. Yeah. I mean, they, they, could, were... not give, they, they could not give a shit. But yeah, they were Sweden, fun. there should be some serious root. I mean, Sweden can blame jet lag. They can blame flying to the other side of the world. I'm sure there are a whole bunch of players in their squad who knew they were being flown to Australia to not play, which may, <laughs> given it was only a one game series, which may not have created the best team environment. But, but seriously, they were atrocious in the Euro semis. They beat the USA, and then they go and do this against us. I mean, we, we showed that basically, like England, when a team is there to be beaten, we can put the hammer down and properly beat them, and that's an incredibly good sign. All right. Uh, Taryn, look, would you like to stick around to uh, talk about the Socceroos uh, World Cup squad, or would you like to farewell us on this Sunday evening? Uh, I can I can stick around largely because Let's I just have the it. pleasure of viewing with my own eyes the person who is going to get us out of uh, the group. So, oh, all right, here we go. Okay, all right. So let's get on to uh, the Socceroos World Cup squad that was announced uh, this week. Uh, just before we go into the squad, what did you guys think of the fact that you know in some countries that it was very public announcement on public TV and da da da. This was kind of just announced via, you know, social media. And then there was a press conference that was, you know, only available to the press, basically. What did you guys think of that? Do you think that this should be more of, a, of an event and more of an announcement and more of a spectacle? What, what did you guys think? I think we should be making it more of a spectacle. I think it doesn't have to be like, you know, how I think it was when uh, before the Euros, I think Italy did like a whole thing with dances and music. Yeah. And it was a full concert and everything. We don't need that level of like, you know, just over the top, you know, entertainment side of things. But I think like something that, you know, everyone can watch, like whether it was just the press conference being available for everyone to watch, you know, whether you just, because I think there've been a lot of people who were curious about, well, the obvious elephants in the room when it came to certain selections, hearing um, Graham Arnold going depth about why he picked certain players and, you know, just talk a little bit about the squad itself. I think that could have been something that, would have been nice to see. Like, I think that it was for the, um, was it for the Japan and Saudi Arabia qualifiers where it was public? I think there's been quite a few where it used to be like on Facebook live or something mm. like that. I think it should be on there. Like that, that for me should be a no brainer. So I thought that was a little bit disappointing that we weren't able to all be involved um, and be able, whether it was just to, to listen in, I don't think it would have been a chance to, you know, have uh, questions from the audience, but <laughs> to have something like, you know, basically just being able to hear him, you know, straight away answer those questions and yeah, go from there. All right. Well, you know, it wasn't announced. I don't know why it might've been a logistical thing, but let's kind of just go through this uh, in kind of four stages. Let's start with the goalkeepers, which is probably kind of the most controversial thing to come out of it. Um, Matt Ryan, Andrew Redmayne and Danny Vukovic uh, were selected. Uh, Obviously Mitch Langerak was the bigger mission. None of Mm. us really kind of saw that coming. I think, you know, 
talking in, in our preview pieces and, and who's going to make it. I don't think anyone kind of had Mitch Langerak to miss out. In fact, you know, from all accounts, uh, Mitch Langerak was, you know, the the kind of he thought when he got the call that he was being told apparently to like start the game or something. And then, you know, that, that he's like, I'm going to start against France. So he assumed he was in. So uh, very strange moment. Do any of you guys think it was the right call to omit Mitch Langerak? Not after I'm watching getting... the first 30 minutes of the Mariners game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, you know, do, and do you reckon Vukovic was a bit in his head this week? Because he, you know, copped a lot of criticism on his own social media pages. There were people saying, you know, oh, it's a boys' club and da da da. And the reason that was given was because, you know, it was interesting. Even um, Arnie's explanation was he goes, oh, "I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but John Crawley says, you know, that these guys should be the ones." Is interesting, and also, you know, does it even matter? Because some people say, "Well, it's a second choice goalkeeper. It doesn't matter." I would have started. Uh, I would have started Langrack against France. No, that, like, no that's my it- big takeaway. It, it does matter. It does matter, Nick. And the reason why it matters is because, look, there, there are a lot of really good elements about this squad. There are a lot of really, really exciting things that we will talk about, and they should be the focus, but they're not. And the re- But the reason it's important is because we had a manager who went out and publicly said that playing regular match minutes, regardless of where it is, is going to be one of, if not the most important criteria of getting selected for this national team. And in many respects throughout this squad, we have seen that logic apply. Someone like Trent Sainsbury not getting selected because, you know, he hasn't played for a while. But then you also have, you have Sutar and you have Rolls. But anyway, uh, someone like uh, Keanu Bacchus, who has been playing week in, week out for St. Mirren, doing a very good job in the Scottish Premiership, being selected uh, ahead of a Denny Genre or a Conor Metcalf, who some people would argue are playing less minutes, but playing at a higher league. So the whole focus of this squad, according to the manager, these are the terms he said Mm. that playing time and performances would matter more at this world cup. And yet one of the best performing, if not the best performing Australian goalkeeper, I mean, he has more minutes than the other keepers selected combined while also breaking records in the J league hasn't been picked, hasn't been picked. And then, somehow that decision has been framed as a goalkeeping coach's decision. It's it's not a goalkeeping coach's decision. Now, if John Crawley recommends players to you and you want to act upon those recommendations, that's fine, right? That's fine. But John Crawley didn't make the choice. Graham Arnold is the manager of the national team. He has the final say. He has the authority in this situation. John Crawley can make you a recommendation. You can act on it, but you've made the choice to act on it. So you have to defend your actions. And I don't think it was like an antagonistic, like enemy media coming after um, the national team to ask about, uh, about Langrock. It's a fair and reasonable question um, to ask why one of our best performing Australians abroad is not in the squad that's supposed to comprise of the 26 best Australians. I really like Matt Ryan, you know, in terms of as a person. And and I, I think he's had some really good games for Australia over the years, but just looking at his form at club level, just looking at compared to Mitch Langerak. And, you know, I, I spoke this week, uh, obviously, to Mark Bosnich, who, you know, I'm quite close with because I obviously work with him at Stan. And, you know, I was asking him, like, who do you think, like, in terms of keepers, you know, who is the better one? And, and he said to me, he thinks Mitch Langerak is better in terms of shot stopping. And, but Matt Ryan is better in terms of playing with his feet and, and help, you know, distribution and helping the team play out. 
against France, how much are we actually going to be doing that? You know, how much is it more that, you know, the goalkeeper is just going to cop about 15 shots and we need to ha- have him have the game of his life? So that was kind of why I was thinking that Langerak might even be with a good shout to start uh, against France. Um, it is interesting uh, kind of, you know, that he's gone with it. I, I did assume Redmayne was going to go, even though Redmayne hasn't been in amazing form this season, just because he was, look, he's the hero. He's the reason that we got there in the end. Um, you know, I thought he deserved a reward for that. And I, I always thought kind of Arnie was going to do that. But Vukovic, who has been a great keeper over the years and had a really good career and, you know, today aside, I just was a little surprised uh well, I was very surprised uh, that he got in. I think I think a lot of people. Does, does anyone think it was the right call? No. Okay. Maybe maybe that says it all. Uh, let's move on to uh, the defenders now. Here, kind of, it all kind of made uh, sense. Uh, th- there's a couple of players. You know, Harry Suter coming back uh, from injury. You know, there's the hope that he will be ready for the first game. He was rested by Stoke. Uh, overnight, so there's a little bit over that. But uh, Dubano, what did you make of the defenders? And I, and I guess kind of the name that stuck out to me most was Joel King. Yeah, um, in terms of the centre backs, I mean, we didn't really have much of a choice. Like when it came to the logic of you know top quality play, our best centre backs playing regularly for one reason or another, especially due to injury. When it came to Kai Rolls and Harry Suter, if they're fit, they have to go because unfortunately. The position the Socceroos are in right now, we aren't blessed with a deep pool of centre-backs that are playing at a high level overseas. Um, so for me, Sutar and Rolls were always going to go. It was just a matter of who were going to fill those other other spots. Um, you know, I, I like the Thomas Deng selection because of his versatility. He can play it right back. He can play centre-back. Um, obviously, he is probably the fifth uh, centre-back in the pecking order behind as well, Degenek and Bailey Wright. But I think there's, for me personally, no complaints because... You know, Trent Sainsbury just hasn't been playing well enough to warrant selection um, and hasn't been playing enough in Qatar either to warrant selection. So it was a big call from Arnie um, for, for more than one reason, whether it came down to Sainsbury's uh, status in the squad, but also, you know, Sainsbury's status in the Arnold family um, that, you know, he had to make a decision like that. Um, but in terms of the fullbacks, I mean, Nate Atkinson and Frank Karacic, that's expected. I know Lockie sort of, uh, flew, the flag, flew the flag for Ryan Strain, someone who might have been able to go. But I think, you know, the writing was on the wall given Karacic and Atkinson had gotten those opportunities. And as is Beige and Joel King is surprising. I mean, Beige, not so much, but Joel King, I think especially, like not playing much in Denmark, you know, to use that mm-hmm. logic of minutes. He hasn't been playing much since he's gone over um, over to Scandinavia. So, you know, someone like Jason Davidson, who has been playing regularly in Belgium, I think is quite unlucky not to make yeah. the squad. Um, so, yeah, very interesting decision there. Um, and Gersback you know, as well. He's playing regularly in well, France. Gersback's kind of just... I was talking about actually yesterday with Josh Parrish and Lockie Flanagan and Pakua Frimpong and Ben Smith yesterday that mm. we felt like... like it's kind of like Alex Gersback's kind of just been forgotten. Like, mm. you know, we, we I haven't heard of Alex Gersback in ages because he just hasn't been selected in a while. He's kind of, you know, just plotted around Europe he's playing but like he hasn't been in the in the reckoning for a while but from from what I'm seeing look I'm not watching the French second division and lucky I'll come to you in a minute on Atkinson because you're actually uh, one of the few people that watches some of these players regularly but um uh, you know goes back I don't know I haven't seen him play but if he's playing regularly in a team that I think is pushing for promotion in the French second division you know it's like Denny Genre last season and we were getting quite excited yeah. about him I was surprised that Gersback wasn't in there just because, yeah, Joel, like I said, Joel King isn't playing. Um, 
you know, in Denmark. And here's what I think. I think it's like, it's okay not to take a player that's not playing regularly if they've proven that they can do it at this level. Has Joel King proven that he can do it at an international level? Not really. He's proven he's good in the A-League. He's proven he's good for Sydney FC. Mm. But it's not like you're taking a player who's, oh, he's got all the experience. Look, it's all right. Once he gets there, he knows what to do. And, okay, he's a bit unlucky at the moment. You know, Matt Ryan's not playing regularly um, at, uh, you know, in, in Denmark for Copenhagen. But at least you can say, well, he's played at World Cups, he's experienced, he's played in big tournaments, he knows what these moments are about. We're confident that he can step up in this moment. I don't think so for someone like Joel King. So I, I don't know. Look, hopefully he proves me wrong. Look, and I say this about everyone who's included. I hope everyone has an amazing tournament. We, we're all on your side, despite what. But that's, but that's to write. assume that Joel King's actually going to see minutes, though, Stoll, because let's be real, as is Bage, he's more than likely going to start. The, sure. the, the all three group games. So but you have to assume, you know, in my opinion, sure. you have to assume yeah. that all these Absolutely. players will eventually see minutes. Uh, Taryn, you wanted to make a point uh, about Suta. Yeah, I guess just to say that, you know, how many chances from open play are we necessarily going to have? I think we're going to rely a lot on set. 0.5. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely no, under no. 2.5. Sorry, Taryn, don't you remember how many open play goals we scored in 2018? Oh, Have you so forgotten many. about all of so those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I but I do think that Harry Suter coming in, maybe like, you know, not fully fit maybe or just coming back off that injury with not a lot of match time, a consideration for that has to be set pieces and his threat in the air mm. because it's not just his ability as a centre-back. How many, you know, how many goals are we actually going to score from open play if we can, you know, sort of smash and grab a, a set-piece goal with big Harry's head? That depends spoken. on Qualt's minutes. <laughs> Very I true. just say, spoken like a true football manager nerd, like just knows the value of set pieces and, and how important yeah. they can be and how many goals a season they can get you. Uh, Lockie, tell us about uh, Atkinson because you're actually watching this season. He recently scored in the UEFA Conference League and watched that exclusively live on the Stan Sport. I but uh, look, I I have uh, not been the you know the kindest to Scottish football uh, on this podcast. And there's quite a few players from Scottish football in that. But you tell us, Atkinson, how's he going at the moment? Well, it, it's interesting because I, I was delighted as a as a Hearts supporter to have all three of the the Aussie Hearts players selected for the World Cup squad. But I I would say of the three that have been selected now, Rolls has obviously spent a significant time on the sideline. But when he has been playing, Hearts fans have been uh, enamoured with his performances uh, this morning's red card against Livingston notwithstanding. He has genuinely been really good in the games that he's played. Um, Atkinson has had a probably an inconsistent season, I, I would say. His, his best has been very good. The goal in the Conference League, as you mentioned, he's had some great performances, but has been uh, susceptible defensively. And I think... Again, if it was pure form, as I sort of said uh, last week when when we had Vince on, if it was pure form, I think Strain has mounted a better argument. He's played better, more consistently. He's been on one of the sort of the top 20 to 30 players um, in the premiership. But Atkinson has that affinity with Arnie. He's played at the level before, and he's got that versatility to be someone who can play further forward or drop into midfield. So he's the worst performing Hearts player of the three so far, um, but I still think his selection makes a lot of sense. And he hasn't been so bad. Um, yeah, he hasn't been so bad that he, he shouldn't have been picked out right. I think it's a, a fairly defensible selection. Uh, and he'll probably start too. Yeah, let's move on to the uh, the midfield. 
Um, Moy, Frostich, Irvine, McGree, Devlin, Bacchus. Uh, McGreve scored a great goal overnight for Middlesbrough, which is great to see. Frustich, we are massively, I think me more than almost anyone, massively hoping that he gets on the field um, for the first game, but he is under an injury cloud. I don't know if we know anything about that. Uh, probably probably going to be back. I think they're hoping to actually play him this weekend. Okay, if, all right. I think Hellesford on haven't played yet, but I'm just double-checking. But I think the plan was right. to hopefully get him out there in the last game. All right, we'll check on that. Um, yeah, Lockie, tomorrow morning, what do, you, bets here. what do you think of Bacchus uh, getting in there? I mean, you can probably talk about Devlin as well, but Bacchus was a bit of a surprise one for me as well. You know, I know that he's kind of been talked about in the squad, but I was surprised that he was in there. Mm. Uh, look, I, I don't want to harp on the, the same sort of lines, but if we're going off the whole form and minutes at club level, I, it's, it's, a, it's a very reasonable, straightforward selection. He has been very good since he's come into, into St. Mirren, and it's great to see him get the chance. I guess the problem is once he starts to dig a bit, and, and also, you know, Graham Arnold has said that he's picked two players for every position, and to that end, there's two players for sort of every role in midfield. I guess there's two tens, there's sort of two eights, there's two sixes. Um, but I guess the problem you run into there is that Bacchus is not going to start, right? Mm. Bacchus is not going to start, and for the most point, you would expect Australia to be the team who has less of the ball, um, more reliance on counterattack set pieces, perhaps if Harry Sujak gets his end uh, head on the end of a few. Um, and so if that's going to be the case, then why have Bacchus, like what is Bacchus going to be able to do and how is he going to be able to influence the game coming off the bench if we're chasing, um, chasing a game as a six? There's not really a great deal that he can do. So, if I was picking that slot, even if he has played well, I'd probably want someone who could be a bit more versatile in what they offer when we're behind, a bit more attacking. And the third man run of a Metcalf, the ability to play anywhere in the front three that a genre has, if it was me picking, uh, that's what I would have gone for. But again, minutes-wise, he's, he's done enough to, to make him a justifiable, justifiable selection. I just don't know how much impact he's going to be able to have off the bench. Can I just make a point? Yeah, um, because what I was going to say is, and Alig actually has stolen my theory that uh, actually came to my mind about five seconds before that comment came through because Lockie was making the point. Maybe Bacchus was the guy who came in because Volpato said no. Maybe because, you know, when you look at it and you sort of do the numbers and you weigh everything up and you go, okay, look, we've got Aaron Moy and Cam Devlin who can play as sixes. McGree can play as an eight if need be alongside Jackson Irvine. It leaves 110 in Hustich. You know, Volpato's best form is playing a bit more centrally as a 10, not necessarily as an out-and-out winger. And I don't think that, you know, someone like Garen Kwal, uh, Mabil, or any of the wingers, Craig Goodwin even, would have been a player that was dropped in favour of Volpato should Volpato have been in the squad, unless that was going to be an incredibly unpopular decision to have, take it, to have not taken Garen Kwal to the World Cup, mm. which... I, I, to be honest, I doubt would have been the the plan, but maybe that was it. Maybe Keanu Bacchus was the plan B without actually sort of speculating. I mean, you can't help but sort of ask that question after Arnie literally came out and said, well, Pardo was in the team. I called him three times and he said no. So maybe that maybe that is it. He's literally number 26 in the squad as well. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, he's got point. the 26th number. So good point. I don't know, Look, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but that, that could be it. 
Should we get on to Volpato now or should we wait to the end of the uh, squad chat? I think we'll, let's get through the forwards. We'll get back to him. Um, just on the midfield, Ben Smith uh, says Devlin should start alongside Moy against France. I agree. Is that what you guys I would go? Agree. That would be a kind of yeah, double pivot thing? 100%. I'd, I'd actually play Devlin, uh, Irvine, and Aiden Hrustich. I know it's a very uh, sort of unpopular sort of uh, theory or, or prediction. Yeah. But I personally wouldn't start Aaron Moy. I don't much I care just... who he starts alongside, but Devlin should start. Honestly, like without being, you know, a Debbie Downer, I just look at that midfield and I just don't see a lot of combinations I like. You know, there's like there's there's a lot of me trying to put those pieces together and it, how does this fit? And you know, is it a double pivot? You know, with one up top, is it a three? How how do we make this work? And I don't see a lot of like. And, you know, this is what kind of the qualification period also should have been establishing, but I just don't exactly see a, a clear, recognizable pattern in there. So I'd be interested to see what yeah, happens. It's, it's disappointing. Um, all right, let's go to the forwards. Uh, Martin Boyle, Matthew Leckie, Jay McLaren, Mitch Duke, A1 Bill, Craig Goodwin, Jason Cummings, Garan Quoll. Um, look, the kind of the big story out of it was Jason Cummings and Garan Quoll. And I think, does everyone agree that they should have been selected and everyone happy with their selection? 100%. Yeah. Yep. In yep. Um ama- amazing if Garang actually starts a game. Um <laughs> just the ultimate starts against France. Yeah, hang, hang on, now we've actually got the, the Mariners fan in the in the stream. Taron, should Garang Qual start? Like genuine question here, because Stoll was like all he gets, no no no, I can't start, can't start, hasn't played a game. Should Garang Qual start a game at the World Cup? No, look genuinely probably not. Genuinely you use him in the last 20, 30 minutes of games to open up the game, to create a different dimension. Hopefully we're not chasing too many, but we've seen throughout the the Mariners season that he seems to have this ability to single-handedly turn games on their head as soon as he comes on the pitch. And I think that's why it's so exciting that he's, he's playing, though, that, that he's in the squad, sorry. Um, that's why... You know that that's why that selection is is so good, and I think that's why there would have been a riot had he been left out of the squad. Um, yeah, I mean, my heart says yes. My heart says start Cummings and Quoll, but um, my head says I think that he is best utilized at this stage in his career, coming off the bench in the last 20, 30 minutes, uh, being a game changer to use a turn of phrase from a very uh, popular manager. And, you know, see how, how that goes. Um, Jess asked via YouTube, uh, who is the starting uh, number nine for France, for the France game? Look, I mean, this isn't who I would pick, but I think it's going to be Mitch Duke. I think Arnie, everything yeah. is indicating that it's Mitch Duke. I, the, to me, the kind of surprise was Taggart was left out. That, like that to mm. me it was a surprise. I know he's not been in the best form and hadn't scored for a couple of months. But with all the respect to Mitch Duke, you know, Mitch Duke is playing in a division lower and I think has scored one more goal for the season. I, th- I think Taggart had six goals or something uh, in J-League 1 and, and Mitch Duke has seven goals in J-League 2. It doesn't seem to me like, oh my God, you know, Mitch Duke by clear. But, you know, I don't know. This is also the hard, the hard thing. to When you're not there, you're not talking to the players. I don't know what frame of mind players are in and whatever. So what it seems to be is Mitch Duke is going to be the starting number nine. Does anyone think Mitch Duke won't start against France? Uh, I, I think the only other thing I would say is, is McLaren maybe deployed as like that sort of pressing nine, like Andrew Naboot in 2018, just work hard at the front. And part of me, I, I think I would prefer McLaren. 
actually. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know because like, in, in, in all honesty, I would as well. Because also, I mean, the thing is, you I mean you assume you assume that France will play a high line and that our only chances will be on the counter-attack. And from what I've seen from Mitch Duke, Mitch Duke is wonderful in the air. And if we can swing crosses into Duke, that's going to be the strength. But are we even going to be able to get up the pitch to get those crosses in? And and what will also be interesting uh, is if Craig Goodwin starts, because you talk about, you know, one of Craig Goodwin's strengths, if he's playing wide, look, he, he's not strong on the dribble, but he can cross the ball. He can, he can get that service into, you know, whether it's Ibasuki or it's Duke. So... Maybe be interesting to see if, uh, you know, that's what Arnie's thinking. If it's, all right, let's get Duke there, target man, you know, let's get some crosses into him. And then, you know, is A1 Mobile the winger that you go to? Hasn't been playing at all for Cardiff, and when he has, has not been good. Uh, he went viral this week because he did the Ronaldo celebration at the Bernabeu, but that wasn't because he scored a goal. That was because he was doing a warm down or something for players who hadn't played minutes. Um, so not the ideal kind of preparation. But how do you guys see us kind of lining up in the, that first game? Kind of front three wise, go ahead, Devon. Uh, more than likely, Boyle and Leckie on the wings, and Mitch Duke yeah. leading the line. I think that's if it, if it's not one of Boyle or Leckie, I think the first cab off the rank would be um, Owen But I think yeah. Boyle and Leckie, based on former minutes, they will be the starting wingers, and Mitch Duke through the middle. I tell you what, I wouldn't mind seeing Cummings. Honestly, oh, um, same here, same here. All right. Uh, look, I, th- I think we can leave there. Any any final uh, thoughts on the? So, oh, should we talk about Volpato rejecting the call up? I think so. All right. Let, here we go. Let, let's let's go through it. Let's try and get uh, quick on it. Volpato. I mean, you know, to me, I think good for him. Reject reject the call up. That's fine. No problem. See you later. Good luck. I hope you have a great career for Italy. Da 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 da. But I also don't think that you can come and play for Australia anymore. I mean, um, I think we are giving you the opportunity to play in a World Cup. It's not like we're just saying, hey, just come because we want to cap you and da-da-da and then, and then you're ours. It's not one of those places. We actually want you in a World Cup. I don't know what Arnie's saying. I don't know how that's been communicated. I don't know how that situation has been handled. But personally, I think if you get the offer to play in a World Cup for Australia or for any country, that's, that's really it, my friend. <sighs> I don't think it's fair to say, no, nah, we can't play. He can't play for Australia again. I don't think that's fair at all because I think the kid's 18, right? Like this is a big bloody decision to make. You know, I know it's going to a World Cup, but there's a lot of different factors to this. And if he wants to chance himself to play for Italy, where there's a lot more that comes, a lot more weight that comes with playing for Italy, I mean... That's an extra. Well, le- a lot less World week. Cups. Extra... Well, no, not that's not going to be the case in 2026, <laughs> mate. But the thing is, if they get to the, but the thing is, if they get to the World Cup, there's a better chance of winning the World Cup. Let's put that absolutely yep, yep, yep. bluntly and brutally. Him being an Italian international adds another twenty million dollars to his price tag. Him good being an him. Italian international is good for his commercial interests. Good, it's good for him. For his potential... Yeah, go but, for but, it. But what, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, even if it doesn't work out for him uh, from an Italy sense. Australia is not in the place to say no to him if he turns around and says, I want to play for the Socceroos. We don't know for sure that maybe he said, I don't want to play for them ever. He's just said, right now, for me, in my own decision, personally, I don't want to have to make a decision that right now is going to lock me into anything. 
as of right now in November 2022. At 18 years old, it's a big bloody decision to make. Hell, when I was 18 and I was thinking about which university I was going to go to, I was worried about that sort of stuff and big decisions. It's a in my day, in my day. So (laughs) he's 18. But he's shown the maturity to go over to Italy, another country. You know. Yeah. The, well, he got rejected it, by the system. Style. I understand. Like, I, I understand. He had Look, to chance himself with that. I understand. But he showed the maturity to go to another country where he is. You know, while he's you know from there in terms of you know his heritage, he 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 did grow up there. He he doesn't know well. He showed the maturity to go over there. He's shown the maturity to break through at Roma, and he's shown the maturity. You know that he's now starting games. So he's so mature. That he's done all this with his life, but then I oh, don't know. No, no, he's so young, we can't, but you know, ask this of him because he's so young and it's eighteen and da da da. Man, people make decisions at eighteen. All right, yeah, but you have this to is something that's going to lock you in for the rest of your life. If you're torn yeah. on it, and that yeah, that's exactly. fine. If he's torn on it, then let him be torn on it. He can make this decision whenever he wants. If he doesn't want to go to the World Cup and he wants to chance himself to play for Italy, I think he has every right to. To me, and if people are going to be pissed off success. about it. If people are going to be pissed off about it, you know what? It's stiff because at the end of the day, right? Like he wasn't part of the qualification campaign. We're talking about minutes and rewarding minutes. There were players who played more. I know he did has had a really good run recently and he's playing for Roma and good luck to him. I'm actually, it's great to see. But if he wants to chance himself, let him bloody chance himself. Like he, we have time here, guys. I've said this since day one. Like we don't need to worry. We've got time. Like Italy could have picked him for the November friendlies. They didn't. They picked the 16-year-old who's had one, played one game ahead of him as well. He got picked for the under-21s. He accepted that call. That's not going to change anything. It's going it, to. There's a lot more moving factors to this. And us to completely put the black line through him and say, nah, we don't want him. I don't think that's very fair. Because uh, yeah. we were the ones that said no to him originally. Our clubs said no to him. Just let me We were the ones that said no to him. In his heart, He's going to re- probably, in his high probably thinking, I want to reward and be loyal, at least for now, to the country that gave me an opportunity. And he's got someone like Francesco Totti, as I said last week, who might be who's saying to him, who's very well connected with people involved in the Italian system, who are saying, this kid's got something. He could play for Italy. We're keeping our eyes on him. As an 18-year-old who's playing for Roma, and you've got a chance to play for Italy... Being in his shoes, putting yourself in his shoes, of course he's going to angle to potentially play for Italy. It's a big decision to make. We saw it with Vieri. We saw it with Simunic in the past as well. We saw it with Georgi Samaras. We're going to lose players. And if they decide they decide that he wants to go, so be it. But if he hasn't made his decision yet, then we shouldn't put the black mm. line for him yet. He's made There's his still decision. Time. This is the, if you say no to a World Cup, a World Cup, that's a decision to me. You're saying no. Like, he's 18 stole. He's 18 Man, years old. Good luck and thank you, mate. But, you know, you were here for 17 years. And, like, look, yeah, Australian football rejected him and that's narrative. And I understand that, blah, blah, blah. But also, he was also in our system for 17 years. So, obviously, we were developing him as well. You know, this guy wasn't just training on his own at the park and everyone was like, oh, you're, you're terrible. You know, what about the coaches, the Australian coaches that helped him develop as a talent? That also exists. You know, Sydney FC rejected him. Wanderers rejected him. And by the way, look, we've been talking about it. They don't handle their youth well. He's not the only one. But I just think if you get the choice to, if you get the option to play for the Socceroos at a World Cup, this is the highest honor, the highest honor that we have in our game. And you say, no, okay, that's all good. Good luck to you. But, you know, there's there, there, there's not, oh, okay, actually, I wasn't good enough for Italy. Uh, can I turn up here? And maybe, maybe he's going to be, you know, the best player for the Socceroos. And if he is, good for him. And that's great. And, you know, he's whatever. He's 18, not 34. 
He's got plenty of World Cups yeah. left in him. There's plenty of time. 18, you can vote, you can drink, you can have children. Yeah, but you can have you many can different have drinks, you don't, you, do, you, don't, you don't need to have one drink. You can no. have many, okay? This no, is a wait. job that locks you in for life. This is a position that locks you in for life. This is not like saying this is a World play Cup. drama. This is an honor yeah. of going to a World Cup. And there's Cup. a World Cup every four years that Australia and Italy... Not for Italy. Not for Italy. There hasn't been one since 2014. The expansion's <laughs> the best thing that happened for the Italian national team. Right? All right, look, I think I think me and you can go around in circles. Uh, look, we, yeah, we've set our piece. Uh, Taron, any thoughts? Would you reject a call-up for the World Cup? Valpardo, he doesn't want to make his bed, so he doesn't yeah. have to lie in it. Yeah, That's he, the decision. But he doesn't we've have invited to invited we look admittedly we didn't want him in our bed initially we're like ah you're not good enough for a bed and now we're like please come in our bed is great and we've made it really nice and then he said i don't want to come in your bed i think there might be a better bed for me over here okay but now but that's it there's one offer that's it all right no more bed (laughs) australia is a australia is a king single but you know italy is a nice luxurious (laughs) queen size bed with a nice quilt Mate, where's our where's our snooze uh, sponsorship or like you know where's our like our our betting sponsorship like Jason <laughs> betting is that even still a thing? <laughs> I I have no idea. Uh, not to be uh, have any stereotypes, but my girlfriend takes care of all the betting things that uh, we do in this house. Um, Taryn, it has been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you uh, for raising the bar of this show. Uh, just a, and, just a quick plug. Yep. For those of you wondering why we're not going to preview the A-League women's season in this pod, it's because after the season launch is held on Wednesday, there will be a TNC A-League women's season preview bottle edition, similar to the A-League men's preseason one that came out. So uh, make sure you subscribe if you aren't subscribed to the podcast already, because that will drop either on Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Absolutely. Check it out. Uh, Taryn, thanks so much for coming on and we'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure. Speak then. All right. Uh, look, before we go in this espresso edition, I am noticing a little bit tepid this coffee. Just, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, little we're bit almost done, Stoll. We're, we're, we're almost done, though. We're almost done. We're almost, look, most of the time we start at 7.30. Now we're finishing at 7.30. This is incredible. This is uh, great. We, Got the whole evening ahead of us. That's right. That's right. Look, let's quickly talk about um, the article that appeared in the Good Weekend magazine, um, which, uh, you know, is a magazine that's in the City Morning Herald and The Age and, I don't know, maybe somewhere else around the country, but you can read it online. Um, it was a, uh, it's owned by Channel 9, actually, I should say, as a Channel 9 employee. So good job uh, to the Empire. And, you know, it's a good interview in terms of, um, I think it's important to tell the human stories uh, of kind of the big people in our game, and that, that's always an interesting insight. Um, you know, and, and the timing of it, you know, just ahead of a World Cup and, and to get kind of, I guess, maybe the greater interest from people who read The Good Weekend every week and maybe don't follow football regularly. And it was written by someone, Andrew Webster, is a very good uh, sports writer, um, but he's not a football writer. He's, he's very much a kind of generic sports writer who focuses much more on kind of like cricket and, and rugby league and kind of things. What, what was your big takeaway, guys, before I get into this? Does anyone want to go? Taya. I, I just have two quotes I want to read. Uh, first one attributable to Graham Arnold. Football people in this country are weird. That's why the game is continually in a state of disarray, full of small people with self-interest. And here's the other quote. Sorry, that uh, was I think Robbie Slater said that actually. Uh, really? Yes. Okay. Well, we can, we can take believe, this read. And I can agree with the first part of the sentence. Football people are weird, but he should have <laughs> included himself in that. 
This this quote is attributable to Arnie. The players felt a complete lack of support from the nation. All the players do social media. They were saying to me, Arnie, Australia doesn't want us to qualify. They're not supporting us. People want us to fail. I honestly feel I can't do anything right in this country any longer. Mm. You gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> like we've got we've got the AFL out there. We've got the NRL out there. We've got the Victorian government underwriting netball after all of our begging for facilities. Imagine if you were working at a local club just trying to get a fence around your ground and, and you can't make any headway. And then the Victorian government just said, hey, netball, let's underwrite your entire sport just to troll Gina Reinhardt. You know, we've been doing it wrong. We've been doing it all wrong. Um, so that quote, honestly... I've said this a few times. I'm not going to bang on repeating myself. Stop making an enemy out of the people who care enough to actually watch the games. You have plenty of other enemies out there who don't watch and don't care and actually do want you to fail. We watch and we care and we analyze because we want things to be better. And the fact this penny hasn't dropped with players and media that, that platform this and the coaching staff and even the administration who set the tone and the standards for how our national team talks about itself. To go and say that in public is the biggest middle finger to anyone who's ever bought a ticket or a shirt or has turned on their television and actually cared enough to watch. Mm. It's bewildering. Stop it. At the end of the Arnie era, we need a clean break. And if the administration can't make a clean break and they just hire some uh, replica backs to the wall, us against the world, our own fans don't want us to win clone, enough. No. New direction, urgently, please. It's also just like, this, like what do you mean? Like, who believes that? We, we don't want you to qualify for the World Cup. Who well, benefits? clearly a journalist, for starters, a journalist and an editor believed it enough to publish it rather than push back and say, come yeah. on, champ, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's like... To me, it is interesting that this interview, you know, the, the reason they decided to do this, but it wasn't a football writer who wrote this. It wasn't someone who do, gets do we reckon up he actually watched, Do we reckon he watched any of the games? Well, he watched Peru. For sure he watched Peru. That's it. But it's is not this someone... Will Swanson, Will Swanson incident? Like I similar sort of, you know, is. the guy that was talking about the Socceroos doesn't recognize anyone in the team. Remember the... Was it the uh, UAE? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, in the Australian? Yeah, look... I mean, and that's the thing. And, and I think for the kind of general sporting public, they probably look out, they go, ah, oh, yeah, you know, Arnie, hard done by, you know, the, the the soccer fans, they're just crazy. They're just always going on and on. Look, they eat their know. own. They eat their yeah. own. Yeah. To me, it, look, it's pretty simple. Almost, almost like soccer has to become Scientology and just be a one directional hive mind that only ever parrots what the administration is saying. They're effectively saying that Australia needs to become more like a Gulf state in, mm. and, and just ha run a dictatorship here. I mean, is that what they want? By the way, you guys would know better than me, but like if, the, if there was an AFL national team, I mean, hilarious, but if there was an <laughs> AFL national team and they actually played in a World Cup and whatever, imagine the pressure that would be on that that coach, whoever that is. I don't know, Dennis Pagan or whoever whoever's the modern day version <laughs> Dennis of Dennis Pagan. <laughs> I don't know if coaches in AFL anymore. But like the AFL media would be going crazy about it. But you want to see pressure. Look at the questions that Luis Enrique just got asked at his press conference because he didn't put enough Real Madrid players in there. Like, they, they get the easiest ride. This is it's unbelievable. And also, well, here's, here's the best example. When Arnie yeah. was asked why he didn't select Adam Taggart, he didn't yeah. give a football-based reason. He didn't give a statistics-based reason. He didn't give a fitness-based reason. He said, I had a decision to make, and I made it. 
no follow up yep. question. That's it. And and I, I, you know, the idea of the follow up question and a journalist being able to have a back and forth in a press conference seems to be a foreign concept now to the way our national teams are run as well. So you know, it, it's only being a non football following journalist who works for a major publication and can have a sit down. That's mm. your avenue into the national team, and yet that is what they were given uh, to giving to the public with that level of access. One I mean, one thing honest, I've thought was very funny was the quote um coaching the Socceroos is a thankless task and it's like well it's pretty well paid let's like that's the first one you know like i wouldn't mind maybe not getting a thank you if i got that kind of salary that's the first yeah, one, i, I right? mean you know, that's it, the other thing most of these players have earned more money in the last 12 months than i've earned in 17 yeah. years in the workforce exactly, i mean right? the scrutiny comes with the territory Totally. And like the second thing about that is that, you know, in terms of a thankless task, man, the country does get behind the Socceroos for the World Cup. The country will be behind, you know, no one wants us to lose to France, but we can't sit here and pretend, hey, you know, we're going to smash France. You know, France doesn't stand a, a chance against us. This is ridiculous. You know, And, and like- here's the other thing. If, if all the, if the critics and analysis dries up in the media and all you're left with are cheerleaders, mm. then how really how much poorer is your sport going to be for it but it it seems like that's what they want to weed out you know even just the the mildest even slightly little bit of analysis uh of a national team seems to put you in this this haters category um you know and i'm really not sure what they want the media to look like uh unless it's dancing shrek over the top of amy park maybe that is genuinely the future they want Lockie, your thoughts well, I mean, I think uh, Geraldo makes a, a pretty good point in in the comments, actually. Like, the, the very fact uh, that this is the – this level of criticism is is the line in the sand that, 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 you know, the national team chooses to draw as like, oh, it's too heavy, people are hating on us. I think just goes to show uh, how long the national teams have had a very little amount of scrutiny that this seems extreme because, Stoll, you compared to Luis and Enrique and – we're always focusing on, you know, what can we do to be more like the the, the Europeans? We, we love the passion of, of fans there and fans in Latin America who, when they're not happy with the way something is going, make these really, uh, you know, significant public display, displays of their um, displeasure. And when we look at it, we go, oh, that's amazing. They, they care so much about the national team. But when the people here try to display that care about the national team by expressing their concern, somehow we're Emmys. It, well, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute. Just to show you, and look, I look, I think the piece is not, not a criticism of Andrew Webster in terms of like, you know, it's a well-written piece and 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 da da da. But it's interesting to talk about like this criticism angle because they were talking about oh, Mark Bosnich uh, came out and, and criticized him, you know, and you know, he's an he's an ex-teammate of Arnie and he should know better. And that and there was, I think Robbie Slater's quotes is oh, he should know better, and it was personal and it's wrong, and da 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 da. And it's like, well, I don't know. You guys were ex-colleagues of Ange Postacoglu, who you hounded uh, back in in 2017. You know that that was Robbie Slater's thing. Second of all, you know I know Buzzer well. This guy he doesn't have grudges against it. He just calls it as he sees it. And we all yeah. saw after the Japan game that this was absolutely heading towards a disaster. That we thought we were going to miss the World Cup because we played terribly against Japan. And and. To not criticize would have been wrong. And can you remember some of the criticism actually that came out from some other pundits? Uh, Jamie McLaren, when's he getting married? What's going on with that? That was some of the you know analysis that we were worrying about. This this is ridiculous. Can I just I, say? Yeah, go go. go. This is one one thing. 
one thing I want to say. If you're a national team boss or you're a coach, if you're a player and you're playing at this level, the facts are you have to expect criticism. That is part and parcel of what professional sport is. And if you can't handle the criticism, then what else is there to really say about that? Like mm. you're going to get praise. You're going to get criticism when it's there, when it's warranted. Like this is, and also this is the sort of run risk you run as well when you're a media professional as well. When you have people that are coaches and players and stuff that you have those allegiances to and personal relationships and connections with, you're always going to be riding that five and balance. But at the end of the day, in the sake of integrity, you need to call it out when it's there. If a team's not playing well, or even That's if they're so. winning and they're not winning well, you can't just skirt it's over that. And your say, job. Nah, you know. It's your job as, a, exactly. as an analyst. Yeah. It is your job to call it out. Exactly. Because, you know. I think and, there's, and there's you also sh- an element of pe- people want, you need to have caps attached to your name or you need to be an ex-player as well. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think maybe there's, you know, the democratization and proliferation of, you know, things like TNC. I mean, I, I was once told by a very high-ranking person within the FFA, Tony Gustafsson doesn't care about your opinion. And that's why I've been kind of free to really speak my mind on it, because he doesn't care. Fine. You know, so I'm just going to have my two cents. Fair enough. I, I hear all the time that X doesn't care about what the media says and then gets very upset by the media coverage. Like, that's just the classic No, no, one. but the problem, is, the problem is, you know, they don't go to the trouble of actually uh, accessing the source material and then yeah. get told what was allegedly said via Chinese whispers and without having actually accessed the source material themselves are then given a biased or misleading account. Yeah. But also, uh, you, should, yeah, be, you should be thanking... Sorry, just a final point. You should be thanking God thank whatever higher power you subscribe to that there are actually people out there who care enough to criticize because yeah. I mean, the A league in the last few years has been, been an example of what can happen when people just stop caring altogether. Well, I mean, let's no be honest. It, it, what's how much, how much uh, scrutiny was Western United getting from their fan base until today? Mm. What about MacArthur mm. and their fan base? And yeah, it's exactly. crickets because, you know, so without a bit of media there to at least drive the discussion, mm. Who's actually holding anyone to account there, or are they just happy to, you know, roll along, you know, win, lose, draw? Who cares? We're turning up next week. Exactly. And just one small thing, Taylor, you mentioned the thing about source material and how sometimes something that one person says then gets rolled in and then they it takes everyone in the media and it becomes, yeah, you all said it. You all yeah, wrote yeah, this yeah, person off. You all did that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was one or two people. Like, don't, it's hard. Like, I know that sometimes in the heat of a moment, when a coach does something, they love to do the, yeah, well, you wrote us off, blah, blah, or a player will do that. And it's heat of the moment, it's the excitement of it. You know, we've all been there when you love to say, yeah, I told you so. It's a good moment, right? Like it's a human element of it. You love, people love proving people wrong. But when it comes to the media side of it and you say, yeah, but you all said that. No, if one or two people said that, go to that person or two people or whatever. Like I, I we're mean, not all yeah. have the same opinion. Like we all have different opinions. That's the beauty it's of also- the media and the world. It's exhausting to think that siege mentality, no one believes in you, backs to the wall, is the only way our national teams are ever going to operate in the future. I'd like to Mm. think that we can make a clean break from it after the World Cup and turn over a new leaf. Um, Just one kind of final point. Just in terms of, you know, like Arnie and and Robbie Slater in that piece, kind kind of making it all about, like, do people like Arnie or not? Man, it doesn't matter. Like, we don't care. Like, there's there's going to be Socceroos coaches. There were Socceroos coaches before Arnie. There's going to be Socceroos coaches after Arnie, all right? 
every single one of them should be judged on their performances and their results and, and the players they're bringing through. That's what they should be judged on. Whether we, you know, it's not about the personality. You know, we don't care. We don't, we don't care what happens to you. Like, from all accounts, for example, Tony G seems like a really great guy and blah, blah, blah. But evidently the performances are not there. So I don't know why this always gets down to like personality. And and that's what we're going to be judging them on in, in the three games that they, well, hopefully more than three games, but the three games that they mm. definitely are going to have at the World Cup. And I don't know, it just, yeah, it is so exhausting to constantly hear this thing of, oh, everyone's against us and da, da, da. Man, the thing that we all want more than anything is to be amazing at football and, and dominate and, and you know, win World Cups, men and women. What, what do you think? Do you know how much better our lives would be, both our careers and just, you know, the football that we're watching? We would profit if, if the Socceroos suddenly started being incredible. But what we have seen over the years has been a decline of the Socceroos. This is just the facts in, yes. in terms of our performances uh, in, in tournaments or the way that we're qualifying for World Cups or even the selection pool of players, there, there has been a clear decline. So much so that the Football Australia has acknowledged this, hence why they brought in a disruptor, hence why also they leaked just before, was it the Japan game or they leaked just before one of the games that they were considering looking at replacing Arnie for the potential. It, it, was, between, it was between the end of the group stage and the playoffs. Yeah, they leaked it a was, story yeah. that, they were potentially looking at replacing Arnie. So you can talk about, oh, the media's against me and da da No, 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 no. Your own board was thinking about it at the very least, was considering it. Mm. So careful on who are actually the doubters out there because there are doubters yeah. inside too. Sorry, go to Go on, Taylor. My final point on this is let's change how the national teams talk about themselves to the public. And then the media will change how they talk about the national teams. If we bring in a foreign coach with no allegiances to anyone who just wants to talk about formations, tactics, selection, implementation, guess what the media is going to talk about? And yeah, the Will Swantons of the world will go, this Socceroos coach doesn't have a personality. Well, Mark, F Will Swanton, you know, <laughs> let, let, actually, actually, it starts with how the organization talks about itself and how the coaches of the national teams talk about their national teams. The media will follow. Remember how, like, was it nine years ago when Holger Osik got sacked and it was all like, we need an Aussie, we need an Aussie coach. Like, we need an Aussie coach, mm-hmm. Aussie coach. Like, I think now we don't, I don't think, you know, in, in, like, of course you want to Yeah, well, let's have foreign coaches for a few stuff, years. let's try something and then, new. And then in a, in a decade's time, we, when we need, we need an Aussie, then we can hire Nick Tolios because he'll be ready by then. <laughs> <laughs> we can finally get Chris Taylor into the Socceroos coach, uh, get him in there to, he'll get the job done. Um, quickly, just, uh, to pivot, uh, on random things that coaches said that I thought was funny was, did you see, this is totally random, uh, before the Adelaide victory game, they like went into the sheds and they showed uh, Carl Viertz, I loved it. You know, rev up speech I loved it. and he goes, guys, don't you come back in without three points, you know, they, and I just like, and everyone went, yeah, yeah, on you. and it works. Look, they got three points, but just the I idea that they, would not come back if they didn't get the three points, if they had to stay out there. And like, for example, they were just like, I don't know, there's a long break. We're not coming back until December. So we're just going to, the whole team's going to stay out here. Craig Goodwin's got to call Arnie and say, look, sorry, mate, uh, we didn't get the three points. Uh, you know, the boss said, like, we can't go back in the change room if we don't get it. We can't come to the World Cup. You know, the problems that would cause. That, to me, it sounded My so phone's stupid. stuck in there. Everything's yeah. stuck uh, in there. Yeah, Arnie, I want to go to Qatar. I really do, but- 
my passport is in my duffel bag and it's in the pantry. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're just, they're out on there. They all turn into um, like, uh, what's his name? Tom Hanks in Castaway, like grow massive beards. <laughs> they haven't showered in days. You know, the, the families have to come to Cooper Stadium and throw food on the pitch for them to eat it. Like, it just, that, that all went into my mind as he said it. And um, maybe that's why I'm not a professional player. And the, the ones who are like, yeah, yeah, great one. Let's go. Let's, let's get the three points. Anyway, it worked. I don't know. Maybe Tony Popovich needs to tell his team, don't come back without the three points. It, it felt like a very much a threat. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, any final points uh, before we wrap it up? No, all right, so no, fantasy no, before we go then. All right, yep. I've forgotten about my team, but what did I lose again? I don't care. Okay, go. well, we will get to that. Let's start with the battle between two of the pod members this week. Demigods, oh, 71 points, defeated Alino's Bridge, 40 points. Nick Devano, you are now going to face some scrutiny from the media. Explain yourself. 40 points, man. Uh, yeah, Jason Cummings as captain, and he got minus five <laughs> as his actual <laughs> score. So, uh, Honestly, Daniel I've got to say. A zero, and Matt Miller a minus one. Yeah, but I'm the media is too negative towards you. The, the media is too negative about your teammate. Never have I been so pleased to see a player in my fantasies, fantasy team drop a stinker than Jason Cummings because I knew Nick had the captain on him and anything that was going to hurt me was going to hurt Double him negative. twice as much. And that's oh. what it's all about. Schadenfreude. All right. So, uh, Pavs, Razorize Hermanos, 109, smashing Vinter Milan, 31. Uh, Vinter Milan in huge trouble. Daddy Quoll, 83, defeats Tarrens. I will forget, 66. Uh, Chiefs of Staff, 77, defeats one of the randoms, 33. So Joey Lynch in Dreamland. Uh, one of the randoms, Andrew, defeats another random, Alan Brosk, 84 to 59. Bimby's Boys, a random, 55 points, Ooh. defeats Nick Stoll's. TNC Live Sundays, oh. 51, a heartbreaking four-point loss, Nick Stoll. Max Burgess, if he'd been subbed on when the game was nil-nil, instead of <laughs> after they went one-nil down, I reckon I reckon that might have been the difference, mate. That would have got you over the line. <laughs> mate, oh, I don't know who's even in my team anymore. Like, pfft, you know, I don't know. Look, and this i got to say, this shows that fantasy is a success um, because the Premier League fantasy, I usually give up at this stage of the season as well, especially when I'm not going too well. So it's good to see that it's, it's living up to that. Um, Okay, remaining results. Jason Pine gets the win over me, 110 points to 92. So congratulations. High scoring. Uh, Very high scoring. I think I had the fourth highest score in the entire league this week and still lost. Listen here, F faces, 84, defeats Ben's My Castro Romance, 51. I'm sure Perth not playing this weekend was a factor in that as well (laughs) before Benny Smith. Uh, Tasman United, Phil Rollo in Dreamland. He's not going to finish ninth. He wins 107 points to Grace Gill FC, 82. And then FC Smoothbrain in the match of the round, Josh Parrish ekes out a one-point win perhaps with a kick after the siren to defeat Anna Harrington's name-redacted team, 64 points to 63. So Josh Parrish in Dreamland. And it means that uh, the league as it currently stands at the moment, uh, Rise Arise Hermanos and a random on 15 points. And then on 12, uh, a random Phil Rollo, who's now in the top four, Joey's Chiefs of Staff, another random listen here, F faces, and Nick DeBarno's Alino's Bridge. That takes us to the bottom of the top eight. And then Demir's Daddy Qual on 10, Derek's Tarwa Pine, Vinter Milan, and Smooth Brain all on nine points. I'm on six along with Taryn, Grace Gill, and Anna, and also Lockie, Lockie. My Castro Romance on one point, and TNC Live Sundays remains at the foot of the table on nil point. Uh, yeah, now but to. Don't worry. Because um, I'm going to tell my team, don't you dare get on that fa- fantasy pitch without the three points next week. It's going to work a treat. 
Now, to finish... Um, just uh, want to do a... Sorry, go, Taya. Not much change to Wow, What a League, where we have almost 300 members. Clarkie's 11 remains top on 698. Yangi Bus, Reese on 665. Gotwood, 663. That's Sian. And then Nifty FC. Not sure who uh, is in charge of that team, though. 643 points. And then Moyes, two men on 641. Uh, big movie this week was uh, Future FC with Jack and What Do You Reckon from Derek Polaria Osvaldo from Dominic, Adelaide Wanderer, and PK's Plan A by Jesse rounds out the top 10. And looking down here, the highest-ranked member of the TNC chat is, ironically, me uh, in 27th place. So No one, no one knows what we're talking about fantasy. Uh, I have a two-win, four-loss record in our head-to-head league, and yet I'm the highest-ranked member of Wow What a um, League. And don't forget the Women's Fantasy A-League Women's. You can find it on the TNC Twitter. That's open. Get your team in. And I'm speaking to the three other members of this conversation. Get your teams in for the Women's Fantasy. My well. team's in. My team's ready to My go. Let's 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 do Look, it. Um, I just, just, just like do... the A-League Women's, I'm just taking a really long preseason to get everything in order, and then we're going to hit the ground running. Um, I just want a quick shout-out here from Joseph Cetacone. Quick shout-out to the Napoli Club of Melbourne, who won the Italian Fans Cup at Ultra Football today, beating Juve, Milan, and Inter clubs. Well, uh, Joseph, the reason why that happened is because I wasn't playing for the Milan clubs since uh, <laughs> uh, stepping <laughs> down as vice president back in 2017, uh, 2018. Uh, so that's been a... Yeah, I think actually... as, as part of a coup. Were you actually <laughs> no, vice president of a No, I stood down. Club. I wasn't part of a coup. Yeah, yeah, I was part of the Milan fan club. I was part of the establishing group, mate. Oh, really? Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, any any final points before we go? Well, uh, on the A-League belt, obviously, Valon Barisha still holds it. Uh, next, yeah. His next competitor, because obviously we won't be speaking A-League men for about four weeks, I believe is against Sydney FC. So Max Burgess, um, get on the pitch. <laughs> that's the first thing I can say. And maybe, you know, that that is yours to win. Uh, so, yeah, Valon Barisha will next defend it on the 10th of December. And Casey Dumont. We'll defend her oh, title yes. this, this weekend Saturday. against Western United. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so we could It'll be our be first Western belt United champion. Yeah, a Western oh. United champion in their first game. It would be like Santino Morella would in the Intercontinental Championship against Umaga. <laughs> it would be yeah. massive. But uh, so, <laughs> uh, and just on A League Women's, what? remember subscribe to the national curriculum because we'll have a midweek drop of the A League Women's season preview. You can hear it on either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Yep, and I believe yep. we'll have a World Cup uh, preview that was uh, recorded uh, at uh, Football Ultra in Melbourne, uh, which neither me or Dubano weren't a part of. Um, no, because, I don't know. So, they didn't yeah, want quality I... analysis or whatever. Um, uh, I think I think we need to have our own offshoot one style, just a, a pure fun 100%, one. Hundred percent, you know, with blackjack and you know whatever else. Look, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, talk to Chicharito. He'll who knows all about it. Um, yeah. Look, uh, we're gonna have some World Cup pods. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I, you know, I think the plan is to have them like twice a day or something crazy. Look, something, just, something nuts. Look, just stay subscribed. Get your friends subscribed. Get the ratings up. You know, like, do whatever we need to do. Comment, blah blah. Share it around. Um, but you know, really looking forward uh, to the World Cup. Yeah, just one last little uh, cheap plug to steal from Joey's cheap plugs. Just want to add on for any added A-League women's uh, sort of season preview content. Uh, Keep an eye on Keep Up this week. Uh, Tomorrow I'll have a season preview for the Brisbane Raw. Had a chat with Gareth McPherson last week and then have another one coming out with a certain injured Melbourne City Matilda who will give us an update on her progression back from injury and potential for a return for the Women's World Cup. So keep an eye on Keep Up. 
I, I, I keep it on, keep up. It's it's still too much of a bit too much alliteration. I need to get a bit of a different one, I reckon. Uh, Lockie Flanagan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we shall see you hopefully again. Well, I don't know during the World Cup. I hope. I certainly hope so. Otherwise, something very, uh, very dangerous has happened to me. Yeah, I hope to see you in the World Cup, Nick. Teo, <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. Thanks for persisting, everyone. Uh, Nick Debano, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as I sip my espresso. Yep, still hot. Just the old two hours and twenty five minutes. That's a great broadcast. And there's only one way to sign off, which is thanks and success. success.